You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we delve into another Anne Hathaway movie and a movie that mixes the worlds of indie drama and kaiju films. It's 2016's Colossal. James Bond. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another Bondzilla podcast episode. Uh, an actual Bondzilla podcast episode. Uh, I am Nick. I'm well. And uh, I don't even know if we need to be here because uh, this you- podcast <laughs> is irrelevant now. Is it? Oh right, right. Yeah, this seemed just, to get this seemed to get in your craw a little bit more than I mean, it just it did me. I think that you know what the th- so what we're talking about is, uh, well, this episode will be released on September thirtieth, mm-hmm. and on this very same day, September thirtieth, the debut of the official No Time to Die podcast. Which yes, it is like a limited series. It's just based on No Time to Die. It's not a general Bond podcast. I think the thing that gets me is that they also release on Wednesdays. Right. Like that's like if it was like Thursday or Tuesday, you know, I, I wouldn't be suspicious. But I, I think I don't know. I don't know. Do you think uh, Barbara Broccoli has been uh, giving the Bonzilla podcast a little a little listen? It was like I need to get I need to get in the game. Yeah, you're Especially thinking co- you're thinking that this was like they they checked it out and like the elites noticed our potential and then they didn't want us to like creep they didn't, in they didn't on wanna, it they didn't want to spend the big bucks signing what you're us. Saying? i also, think they, they, I, we, I, we announced we were ending you know right. like the bond and godzilla stuff like you know they, you will we'll do something else and then they're like oh we can we can take that market now we can take the bond podcast market because they're almost done yeah i i think it's more i i i think what's um what was i gonna say about it I don't know. I didn't really have an opinion. It's like you know, it's you know, we had the James Bonding podcast. It's not like you know, we're well, yeah, that was years. We're, we're we're encroaching on we're encroaching their on their space. I think it's just funny that everything for No Time to Die is coming out before No Time to Die. Like yeah. it's like, all right, we can't get this movie out. Let's do an official podcast on this movie that is yet to yet to come out. Right, and so it's, and yeah. st- it's still seems on on the route to November by yeah. by all accounts. But oh, that's a good every, every, that's a good song title, "Route to November." I like that. That would be the good like album mm-hmm. title, where it's like not necessarily the hit of the album, but like it's kind of like no, yeah. Well, th- like, th- uh, they thought that like, was the hit of going into it. Like the artist thought that was the hit. Right. But, see, like here's the thing, like. So uh, I, I just got a you, – you would find this interesting. So, uh, you know, humble brag, uh, the last time – actually, the release of our last episode was my birthday. Um, hey. um, and um, one of the uh, – one of my gifts was um, – we have talked on the podcast about Nick and I getting into vinyl um, because we're kind of like cool, basic – like it's like a basic thing to do is like to right. get into vinyl now, but like people welcome it. It seems like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it seems like people like actually like like oh they like talking about like you getting into vinyl, but it is kind of like it's the most like basic new thing you can do. Um, it is, 
you know, yeah. but I they, think it also we, depends but, on like what you're collecting. That's and stuff the like thing. That. You and me, we collect like what we get is like very strange. Like so, yeah. you get like retro Disney, like you know, musical albums and like yeah, things like Hello Dolly like the, and like things the sixties like, and seventies, yeah. right? And and I'm getting like like lo-fi remixes of like video game music and like re yeah. repre like you know like banjo kazooie like represses of like, <laughs> like the soundtrack and everything so but um anyway one of the gifts i got uh was um um my, my dad uh gave made a collection i don't think i told you this uh he 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 made a collection of his own he because he has his own vinyl collection so he gave me a portion of his which mm -hmm. is kind of cool because it's like one of those things where you're like you know like it's just going to sound corny but it's like you get in the old man's things, you know what I mean? Like it's like right, you, you you get the kind of uh, it's an exploration into like what his collection, what he was listening to, and right? Stuff like that. Exactly. Like he, it's like an, it's another new aspect of of like your parents and your your dad's life. So you're like listening to it, and you're like, oh, this is what the old man uh, used to listen to. Well, one of the things though, this is kind of a sidetrack, is like it's just so fascinating. Like when you because li I've been listening to the records, yeah, and um. Like, they sound great. Like, I mean, like, maybe, like, here and there, there's, like, a little... Mm -hmm. But it's, like, I get new stuff, and it's, like, here and there, there's, like, a little skip or whatever. Yeah. But um, it's just yeah, crazy to think, like, this was what my dad was listening to. Yeah. And well, it, it still sounds great. Meanwhile, you get a MacBook, and it's, like, three years later, you got to replace it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm basically in that spot right now. Oh, dude, I mean, you... No, don't, you're underselling it. Yours is, like... Yours was that way three years ago. Now yeah. it's hanging on. It's it's on. It's in hospice right now. Your your well, computer. I, what I was going to say is that is one of the most impressive things to me about collecting vinyl because I was expecting like when I would order all these off of eBay, yeah. or buy them at like a store. I was like, okay, well I'm sure there will be some you know some issues with it. Like I was expecting to have more issues with my records and like you know I do have the occasional like skip here and there, but like generally speaking, like all these records I have from like the fifties and sixties have like just aged beautifully. And right. It's very impressive. Yeah. Um, it, it, but it's it is, like, it is very fun. Yeah. And but but there, the, there is something about listening to the older stuff too. That's like more yeah. fascinating. Like you almost kind of want it to have a little bit more of a hiss to mm -hmm. it. Well, um, it depends on the album. Yeah. Like I'm happy. I'm happy that my great moments with Mr. Lincoln album is, is pitch perfect. Hmm. But my, my Streets of Fire album can can have a skipper here or there. Have we ever mentioned that we have any Bonzilla related stuff on vinyl? Have we ever I, talked about that? Uh, you've talked about you have in the King of the Monsters vinyl. Yes, I have uh, three. I I have the three pack King of the Monsters, which the K, which the cover of it is signed by the one and only Bear McCreary himself, mm -hmm. um, famous composer and cameo appearance in the Babysitter Two, uh, Killer Queen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also involved with our movie today, but we'll talk about yes, that. Yes, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's right. I, I I almost forgot about that until I I, I, I audibly, I, I, we'll talk about it yeah. later. Um, we'll get through this. But I do, I also have the uh, the repress of the 1954 uh, score, which oh, also nice. has like sound sound effects in it and everything. But I believe you have more, uh, appropriately so, more Bond-related stuff. I have five Bond albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, Goldfinger, um, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, mm -hmm. 
Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, and um, The Living Daylights, of course, because uh, that's that one I, I needed. Yeah. Um, uh, all four of them are original release versions of them. Uh, the only one that is kind of a, a modern pressing is the Diamonds Are Forever one. Hmm. Uh, that's the only one that's that's a modern yeah. uh, re- repress. Um, the next one I'm looking for is probably going to be Moonraker to complete kind of like my main three Roger Moore films that I like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be looking for the Moonraker one. Once I eventually uh, get like, um, I, there's a couple other records I'm looking at right now as, as possibilities of the, of the next purchase whenever whenever that happens. Yeah. But oh, the next Bond one I get will definitely be Moonraker. Y- you'll, you'll enjoy this story. Sorry, like the, it just reminded me of this. I, I was at the store recently and I was wearing a Ghidorah, a King Ghidorah shirt. I got a, I got a couple stories before we get into today's movie. But yeah. um, I was wearing my Ghidorah shirt, and the clerk noticed my shirt and and said, and I and I noticed as I was leaving that somebody also had a Godzilla shirt on. So you know, mm. he's like, he's like, oh man, it's like, oh, like well, first what I thought was funny, he's like, you looking forward to the new movie? <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, you know what? That's awesome that there's another guy like us. There's another yeah. guy who no ma- who is looking forward to Kong, uh, to Godzilla versus Kong. Like that made me so happy. Like I was like, I was like, dude, that's awesome. So anyway, so he's like, you looking forward to the new movie? I'm like, yeah, man. They keep pushing it back, and you know, you know, we're doing what you know, you do what you can, but you know, you're looking forward to it. And he's like, yeah, the guy before you had a Godzilla shirt, but then he went on this whole thing about like how he like loves like the music and. You know, and I was talking about like, yeah, no, I have some of it pressed, like you know, on vinyl, and like, so I, I, you know, you find kaiju fans in the most unlikeliest of places. I, I find. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have felt the kaiju community. Like mm-hmm. it, it's sneakily out there. Yeah. Uh, more, more proof than anything is that when we first started this podcast, the Bond episodes were always the most popular, and and now as we get into this point, like I have we noticed that have, we definitely have much more of a following in the in the kaiju. Uh, community. Well, I think which that I, which I definitely appreciate. I, I think that kind of goes back to kind of what we said is like that from in in that like 2017 to now period is like that upturn and um like yeah Godzilla like now everybody's like celebrating their Godzilla fandom uh, yes. again. Um, Agreed. But the other the other story I was gonna say, as I said, it was my birthday the other day, and um, yes. I had spent it. Um, watching um king of the monsters on blue on uh, 4k which i had not done yet we had, obviously i had seen it many 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 oh, yeah. times yeah but um i um was able to set up a scenario where i have uh, 4k capabilities and i was able to watch it and and frankly probably my favorite experience watching the film like i was actually like it was one of those movies where the VFX work on it is really top notch in the highest possible quality. Mm. Like there were like just details in the VFX and like the monster work, like, you know, just like little things like you remember like Mothra, like when, when she's like being born in the, uh, in, in, in like the waterfall, yes. uh, just little things like you just noticed more details of like her, like in the water and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then it w- it was great. And then I think the only thing I texted you where I was like, God bless this movie. I-, I never really thought about it. Like, I know we had celebrated it, 
but I never really thought about how awesome it is that, like, for a good third of that movie, they just call Ghidorah Monster Zero. Like, it's yeah. pretty late in the movie until they reveal that his name is Ghidorah. And mm-hmm. then it's like, you know, they introduce him as Monster Zero and they call him that for a good portion of the movie. And I was like, yeah, that's you're, awesome. You really get a sense for the fandom of yeah. the material, uh, which is always fun and, in, in those types of movies or in, in superhero movies. And, and again, um, I know we talked it. about it before, but I, I, I really think I'm super impressed by how well conceived Ghidorah is in that movie. Because if there's one major thing I think that mo- that movie gets more than any other MonsterVerse movie that yeah. feeds into like the old Showa era films is mm-hmm. that it's the one movie of the MonsterVerse movies where the individual monsters really feel like individual characters and they feel like they have their own like kind of like personalities a little bit and like Ghidorah feels like the villain of that movie. Like, you know, it feels like a, a, like a, that you engage in it. Like all I was thinking about, like if, if I was a kid watching this, this would be my favorite movie. Like, you know, with like Ghidorah coming out and like, it's the same feeling I get like when the T-Rex pops out, like in, in, in Jurassic park, like close to that feeling. Um, but you know, just the little personality quirks it gives each of the heads and, um, you know, and, and then just like the, the, the visual effects work, it's, uh, I'm I'm constantly taken aback by it every time I watch that movie. I think it was a really good point. I think it was we may have brought up something similar when we did our our live tweet uh, mm-hmm. back when was that May? Yeah, uh, that was such a long time. <laughs> that was I did I was almost going, forget that we watched that during this whole thing. We did uh, this whole. I had I had a thing where I just went through like all old tweets, which is fun because. I haven't tweeted much, you know, since like 2018. So mm-hmm. it's like really easy for me to kind of go through like my tweets. And I got to like when we were live tweeting stuff uh, for the the three MonsterVerse films. So I was like, oh man, like I can't believe like that was like that mm-hmm. was in May. It just felt like it was way right, like May or March or whatever. So, uh, but that's a really very good point. And I think that that is that is a strength of the movie. And I think we did kind of mention it a little bit in our, in our original review. Mm-hmm is yeah, yeah it's just again you feel like the characters like have their per- like the monsters are characters that have their purpose and have their personalities and it really stands strong in in the vfx work uh, yeah i mean even even more so i mean like because you have kong which they kind of do and like they do a good job with that and mm-hmm. you know and they give little character beats but you know i think they kind of really reserve most of the monster stuff being like their big animals even like godzilla in the 2014 movie but Th- this was the one where I felt like it was really channeling that Honda uh, approach. I, I-, I thought, um, so that's that. Yeah, I would. I would definitely. Uh, I would definitely agree. And I think that again, it kind of uh, you know elevates it to kind of the strength of those classic Godzilla movies, where you really did feel the the characters have personalities. I mean, even we just saw it, you know, in War of the Gargantuas not that long ago, and mm-hmm. I think that you can really compare stuff like War of the Gargantuas to king of the monsters especially especially and i think you're right kong definitely has they give kong really a good amount of personality um especially because it's kong i think what's strength about king of the monsters is that kong is really the personality and then he's kind of surrounded by, by these more really animalistic monsters like, and it's like and it's skull, easier because he's an ape like it, right. it's easier yes. to inject and, and that's the yeah. truth too is that mm. uh you know he he is an ape and even going back to 
the other Kong films before Kong is I think you have kind of a legacy of that. Whereas I think that, yes, Godzilla has had that legacy, but I don't know if, if like you've really seen that in the American films. And I think like the MonsterVerse films as a whole, I think have done a good job of it. Mm-hmm. Like definitely more so than 98. Like, <laughs> yeah. Get that out of the way. <laughs> um, um, all right. So shall we get into today's uh, film? Yeah, let's let's talk. Unless you about, had anything uh, else that you wanted to ramble about, uh, no. Um, just been uh, watching some film commentaries recently. That's what mm-hmm. I've been doing, and rewatching one of my all-time favorite shows, Cheap Seats, which is mystery science theater <laughs> but with sports. <laughs> I remember that. It's a it's it's a it's it's hold up. It's hold up. Do any of the Bond movies have commentary tracks? Though they all do. Yeah. Um, okay. That's at least cool. well. I mean, I, I can't say they all do, um, but the, at least with the 50th collection and those versions that they all pretty much do uh, have a commentary. Yeah, I know that. Um, but Kong, I, if I sorry, remember, I would say I remember, I think one of them is like a director commentary. And then there's the other one where it's like they it's not like really a commentary. They just put in like interviews with like the cast or it's like. It's like, oh, it's like a commentary with like the cast and crew, but it's like they only get like, you know, everybody kind of goes between, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's in the same room or something like that, which is not a, not a terrible commentary, but I definitely prefer. They have to be done well. Like, uh, like some of them, they can be done. Those can be done well, but I mean, nothing yeah. beats just like. Like, like uh, all time worst is the Planet of the Apes commentary. I don't know if I've talked. I think I've talked about I can't know. If, I don't know if I've talked about I'll it. I'll let you explain the- it, but I think I have one even worse than that one. Uh, oh, I know which one you're talking I, about, yeah. but I might have talked about this on this podcast. Wait, 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 about- what's the problem with it again? I forget. So the Planet of the Apes commentary is, it's like Rodney McDowell. It's, I think, like the director of like, or the writer of like the other Apes films, like not the first one, but like two through five or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like a couple of others. Um, I can't like remember, but like, what they do is it's not a commentary. They just take snippets of definitely different interviews about the whole franchise and put them over the movie. So what will happen is like the first part of the movie, you're like watching it and there's no audio of like the commentary. You're just watching the movie. So you think, Oh, did I mistakenly do it? And then they start talking and it's like, okay, well maybe I just, uh, maybe they did record the intro for some reason, like the opening of the movie because they, you know, none of them are in it. And then the, throughout the commentary, they'll have these like, you know, five 10 minute chunks where they, they go between the different voices and another like 20 minute gap between commentary stuff mm-hmm. so then what happens with the commentary is that you just start watching the movie because planet of the apes is like an amazing film like right. the first one is still so good you start watching the movie and all of a sudden roddy mcdowell will be like oh i'm talking about planet of the apes too beneath the planet of the apes or whatever like why are you talking about it in this scene with dr zayas i don't understand and it's just so disappointing because I wanted to hear Roddy McDowell because I've become a big fan of the guy this year, especially uh, with some of the other stuff I've seen on Disney Plus and stuff like that. I wanted to hear his thoughts because outside of like some of his of his, uh, you know, I, I know like Planet of the Apes is his most famous work, but it's just like there's just nothing going for it. Oh, I remember because one of the girls who's talks about it wasn't in Planet of the Apes. She was in like beneath Planet of the Apes and mm-hmm. the other ones, but she's still talking about Planet of the Apes. I don't know. That one's pretty bad, but. I feel like you could still get some good information out of it versus the one for Zombievers. <laughs> yes, I which remember. Again, I, rem- I remember this friend. Not an indictment on the movie, but the commentary track, I, you know, I, I will stake my career on it. It's garbage because not only is it like it's half people actually talking about the movie, but then it's also like cutting in like 
like the random interviews. Like so at one point like they call in Bill Burr and it's just like this phone interview with Bill Burr. And I like Bill Burr, so I should like this, but I don't because it's like, well what what's going on? So then they get like halfway through the movie and then it's over. Then there's no more commentary track. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's not even like Listen, I'm a I'm a weirdo about commentary tracks. I literally bought a movie for seven dollars. It was seven dollars and I yeah. thought it was good enough and I liked the director and I saw it had a commentary track on it, so I bought it. <laughs> that's I, I can't that's remember. the that's the lunatic I am. I was watching a commentary recently where they called people in. Yeah, like, but it was, I, I don't it was have a, a problem commentary. with that. Like they, no, I, like, I, I can't remember. Um, it, it's definitely good. But going back to our our like the the podcast related stuff, I know that um, Kong Skull Island and King of the Monsters has a commentary track, and I believe that a lot of like the Showa era films, especially with Criterion, they have like historian related yeah. commentary tracks, which which can be fun. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what I know that they have. Yeah, no, the, the Disney historian commentary tracks are good. Um, yeah, I just, I'll go with my review. Good commentaries. Uh, of course the Frighteners, which I just got, uh, movie again, you should see has a great commentary and an even better making of four hour making of, uh, and the best in show commentary was pretty good. Cool. That's it. Yeah. That's all I have to say. That's all I've been doing with my life. There's no shame in that. All right, Bondzilla stuff. All right, today's movie. And like let's yes, let's talk about Bond or Godzilla. This week we are talking about a a kaiju related film. Yes. Uh to yeah. complete our September set. Yeah, and to complete um what was unofficially Hathaway month. Yes, Hathaway, Hathaway September. Month. Yes. Which is kind of crazy like I mean uh, it's so weird. I don't know what it's like for the listeners, but like I'm just thinking, like, wow, we did get smart earlier this month. We did. Well, it was also September is like a five week thing, and it also yeah. was an incredibly busy month. Is it September for us a five in general? Week? One, two, three. Oh yeah, no, you're right. It is. It is right. five months. Yeah, that's we we we're, we're getting in right at the end of September. Yeah, like right on the last day. Yeah. Also, a lot of busy stuff has been happening behind the scenes too. So it's yeah. like it, it it's kind of crazy. And to it's think also about like that. again the world just continues to be crazy. So it's sometimes like things can extend and also like yeah, get closer true. together. Like, and you, you just didn't realize it. Yeah. So, the, 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 um, the, the world continues to ro to, to what do you call it? Revolve. Does it revolve? Yes. The earth revolves, right? Yes. It revolves yeah. around the sun, but it, it, it revolves, but it also rotates. Like, ro well, it, well, which one is it? Like rotate is like when it's turning, but well, then revolves, it, it, it goes around it, it, the sun. It revolves around the sun yeah. and it rotates on its axis. Science, man, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Who like who came up with that stuff? There's a lot of people <laughs> through history. If, uh, you, if you want a good, go watch Mars and Beyond on Disney Plus. If you need a refresher on science. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, so yeah, we're we're completing Hathaway September, uh, with uh this 2016 film titled. Colossal, uh, directed by uh, Nacho Vigalondo. Um, and uh, this is the kaiju, um, I guess you would say dramedy, dark comedy. Um, yes. One, one of those, like, I always call it, like, it's funny because there's technically is a genre name for this, 
but like I think it, it people kind of just like I, I think it's kind of titled in in dark comedy. It's like dark comedy, black comedy, right? Some of the some do you, of the do you that. do you think just quick tangent that there's this kind of little bit of a recognition that um well we we've talked about that I think we've talked about this on the podcast before that one of the issues that people have with genre is that once something gets funny like they people kind of like lose their minds about how to actually like label yes. it yeah like we, we talked about this like we talked about times. this with like knife I don't know if, if we mentioned it on the podcast but in knives out like we thought it was funny because like a lot of people were saying like oh it's like a, a neat little spin on like the who done it genre but when you watch the movie it really is just a who done it like which but, is a lot of humor in it right it just happens to be funny so i think like and you know i think the marvel movies kind of like maybe like paved the way for this a little bit is like you know cuz ultimately those are like superhero action movies they just happen to be funnier um yeah. So it seems to be, basically getting back to my point, it seems to be there's, like, this push to acknowledge that, like, you know, oh, it, it is a drama, but that doesn't mean that it's, like, like it, it can be funny. I mean, I think it also, I think people will go, I think when it's, like, specifically, like, darker humor, I think people are almost willing more to accept it because the kind of darker humor leads into, some people feel that the darker humor leads into the drama a little mm-hmm. bit more. Right. Whereas I think like like a Marvel movie or like Knives Out, there's a more, you know, it doesn't have like, not to say that there isn't moments of dark humor in those films. Right. But it tends to be a little bit more on the lighter side. But I, I just feel like because like you could, you can make the argument that there's some really dark stuff in this movie especially on the humor side that there's a little bit more of a willingness to kind of accept it. I'm kind of getting into the opinion where it can be a drama, but that doesn't mean it's not funny. Like I, yes. I, I think that we just kind of had this notion that a drama is, I mean, that's like been... strict melodrama. Like there's no laughs. You take it all seriously all the time. But I think it's isn't. It, I think it's more apt to say like, oh, it's a drama because like the serious because it's dramatic in terms of like the subject matter and its real stakes yeah. and its real people. But the actual text in the material sometimes it's funny sometimes it's lighthearted. sometimes it's not sometimes it like, is serious something you gotta like, say that drama it's just real is, is drama with humor has basically been the lifeblood of independent cinema for like the last five years but that's kind of what i mean i think like it's it's more of a recent thing where people are kind of acknowledging that mm-hmm. like yeah. that that maybe the humor is just part of it because yeah. i wouldn't call this a comedy like I wouldn't right. even call it a black comedy, really, because when I think of black comedy, I think more of like horror comedies. I think more of like, I don't know, like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, like where it's like you know. A I lot mean, of you dark could, you would probably be able on. to put like like Heather's in that category. Yes, that exactly. Yeah, that that I would put as a dark comedy. This I would just kind of put as like a drama, I suppose. Like, because even like I would, I feel weird about calling it a comedy, like because it's not. It's funny, I guess, but it's not. It's not like a Seth Rogen well, joint. Well, Wikipedia labels it as a yeah. black comedy. Yeah, so no, I, well, that's that's, that's kind of that's what the up. Wikipedia editors have determined is um, the correct genre. So this is the Anne Hathaway uh, kaiju drama, uh, is what I call it. Um, and uh, in in 2016, a uh, very kind of like sudden surprise, um, you know, kind of came out of nowhere type film. Um, but real briefly, because there's not too much to talk about leading into it, I just kind of wanted to uh, 
kind of get into what's going on in movies at, at this point, especially with the genre, and even though we may be retreading some stuff. But um, obviously the big thing is that, you know, there's Godzilla in um, 2014. Uh, and then uh, I believe, let's see. So, yeah, so you have Pacific Rim and Godzilla, with Pacific Rim in 2013, and then Godzilla the next year in 2014. So you kind of have this, like, double tap of, like, oh, like, the kaiju genre kind of yeah. maintaining its place. and it, But in a weird way, like, kind of, like, also making it... it because you have one film that notoriously is not like was not like as big of a box office smash as they wanted it to be, but I would argue had the cultural legs. I I, I think people like really gravitated to just like the, the the premise more on a cultural level. Like you know yeah. everybody liked the canceling the apocalypse and they liked you know the giant robots fighting the giant uh, monsters, and then you had Godzilla, which did fairly well at the mm-hmm. at the box office um especially the first one yeah right maybe didn't uh you know capture everybody enthusiastically but did fairly well so you're kind of getting into this period where uh the monster movies have kind of come back and they're they're making a little bit of a um of a of a of a comeback but the biggest thing is like as we always talk about during this time period is that the blockbuster and the superhero genre is just kicking off like gangbusters Right. We're in like the real, like, heat of it where, yeah, you know, this is like you know Age of Ultron era where it's like okay, like, we're the Marvel universe is definitely here to stay, and and you know DC is gearing up for their stuff real soon, like their DCEU, like mm-hmm. we're not you know Man of Steel is in this era too, so at least with the superhero stuff, we're definitely in the midst of you know kind of it really making its its home. We're in, we're still in a post as we've said a post Avengers landscape, right? Um, so the reason I bring that up is because, you know, we always joked about, like, I remember back in like 2015, like when they were doing the whole, like, this is what the next few years of the Marvel universe is going to be. And like, I remember back then they were doing the whole, like, there's no way this can last. Like everybody's going to get tired of this. And you know, yeah. there was all well, that. we've been saying that people have been saying that for yeah. years yeah. No, since 2012. Right. Honestly. Exactly. And it's like, you don't get to like end game with everybody collectively having that attitude. And now we're but, in WandaVision. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's like the world we live in. It's like, somewhere we're going to get tired eventually, and now we're getting this weirdo WandaVision show, and everybody's like super excited for it. Um, but the reason I do bring it up is because I do think that it's opening up a venue for people to kind of capital to half capitalize on this kind of like genre um, explosion, but to <laughs> also do something different with it. Like, I definitely think that there's more of a... Uh, of a taste of or of um of a fervor at least from the behind the scenes to do stuff like that whether it be you know like little superhero genre stuff or like whether in and you know and it looks like that they're going to like move forward with like a lot of like the monster stuff um so i think that kind of leads into how you get a movie like this i think that's yeah that's kind of how you get like all right well why don't we do this monster movie but, you know, um, kind of with, you know, my eye-rolling pitch face, more uh, personal stakes. Um, well, I mean, it's it's very much, I think, you know, this was especially like this early, you know, like 2015, 2016 era, I think was almost a peak in terms of kind of that sort of genre experimentation where I think that people were trying to respond to kind of 
the recent wave of blockbusters and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. we're still kind of feeling the after effects of it. But I think it's one of those things where Colossal is a type of movie where it's like, oh, let's let's do this like kaiju thing, but let's make it more of like a personal drama. Like I think there's a little bit more there's like filmmakers out there that I think are more willing to kind of take that risk and mm-hmm. take that leap uh, and are interested in that type of movie. As well as I think that always a part of this is I think a movie get lost looks made because I think they know that they can try to hope to get that kind of somewhat niche like internet audience to kind of say, oh, here's this kind of weird movie with, with Anne Hathaway, but it's got like kaiju and it's kind of weird and different. And I think well, almost that's where the kind of comedy aspect of it, because like you kind of have to market it as kind of like, it's kind of weird because it's it's like a regular movie, but it's got monsters in it type right. of thing. I, I, I also think, think that there is just, you're right, there is just more of this, because this was also kind of like a mini explosion of these kind of like off-kilter, like let's take another take of the genre. Like, because you, you could even see this in the horror genre too, right. where like everybody was like, okay, let's experiment with horror and like let's make like little off kilter horror films too, which again, the horror franchise is filled with that, like in its history. But I feel like, you know, like what, regardless of how you feel about it, I feel like during this time period and everybody has their opinions about it, but this is a time period where genre big filmmaking is definitely having like a real, real big, um, uh, grip on like, you know, just the entertainment industry. So it it is kind of like pushing people to like kind of find these little u- unique venues to explore stuff, but with uh, that's still tangentially related. Yeah, uh, and I think it also like I think you had I, I think this I mean you could use other examples too, but it's like like I think because this also works because of that very recent explosion of kind of that initial kaiju push definitely kind of helps in the same way that like a lot of this kind of the off-kilter kind of zombie stuff that we saw in like the later half of the decade was definitely kind of on the backs of all the super serious zombie mm-hmm. stuff yeah. that we got like starting with like the Walking Dead era of zombies when you can have like those kind of weird or, or you know, kind of like that kind of return to kind of that type of horror, I guess, would be that way too. Because you saw a lot of experimentation like with zombie stuff like later in the decade too. So I think there's there's definitely kind of an avenue for those types of filmmakers to to experiment like uh, our friend Nacho here. Right. Well, uh, I the, think the, did. the other thing I would say, kind of bring it back specifically to Godzilla, is that I think what really did it was, because I think like, you know, there was kind of like a general like interest and excitement for Pacific Rim, but I think people, you know, yeah, that's still yeah. kind of like a big popcorn type movie where yeah. I think that regardless of how you felt about the movie, that those initial, that initial approach to the 2014 Godzilla movie really captured people. Like, I feel like yes. that really got people interested in a Godzilla property, that it was, like, this more kind of, like, a, a disaster film, like, let's take it seriously, and it really burned the iconography of kaiju back into people's brains. So it makes sense that somebody would want to capitalize off of that by at least greenlighting um, just the image, like, the the image of kaiju. Because I feel like if you just did, like, a more classic, like, let's say you did, uh, like, the unproduced Jantabont, Godzilla like yeah probably would have been fine good I would have enjoyed mm-hmm. it but you know it would have just kind of been like a big blockbuster movie yeah. 2014 didn't really sell itself that way and even its marketing campaign really did you know it's funny because I even feel like the marketing campaign did more to 
uh, bring forth the image of Godzilla to people more so than the movie did. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and I like the movie. So, it, it, but yeah, but there was definitely yeah. a lot of attention on Godzilla at that point. And because mm-hmm. you're also seeing a company pos- position Godzilla as their summer blockbuster movie. Uh, which I think is a, you know, it's a big deal. It's like we're positioning Godzilla kind of in that same realm as Iron Man and Batman. Like we're, 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 we're putting it. Cause I think now, especially now, because I think it's one of those things that we've kind of seen, you know, the summer blockbuster, then, you know, kind of, especially post Avengers, like when, um, when, a, when, when a company puts their movie in the summer, whether it's like a, a known adaptation or kind of an obscure adaptation, they're kind of putting it on this pedestal, like, this is the summer movie, mm-hmm. right? This is going to be part of that big summer season that we always talk about from like May to August, like May to early August type of thing. And I think that, you know, Godzilla just being put in that place and being put in kind of a May slot, it was kind of a big deal and, and, and really kind of showcased like Godzilla as kind of a name that, that they wanted to put out there and kind of re kind of introducing that kind of giant monster movie mm-hmm. uh, into kind of a wider audience. Um, Cause it's, it's a, it's a genre, especially on American shores that we've definitely seen, but we definitely have, I think, you know, a history of larger gaps in between, right? Like, you know, the, what, what the history of the giant monster movie between the Peter Jackson, King Kong and Pacific Rim, like you definitely can name a few movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it was kind of, you know, Godzilla especially kind of put that the giant monster attack movie, in any regards, on on the map again. Um. So the other thing leading up to this is let's check out what Anne Hathaway is doing because uh, she plays a big role in the movie. Other than yes, what, being what the has lead Anne Hathaway film. been through since two thousand and eight? When like she's still trying to because remember Get Smart episode two thousand eight is her really still trying to make her way past the Princess Diaries. Yeah, and and, um, and you can tell of, it, it is aesthetic. funny. Because and I like Anne Hathaway, so none of this is meant to be a slight on her. I don't like. Uh, I hope I'm not coming off this way. But when we say she was making her way out of being the Princess Diaries, um, it's funny how you say like, you know, she's trying to not be the Princess Diaries. Like she wasn't the Diaries. No, she was the. Princess. She was the princess. Right. Did she have a diary in that movie, or was uh, that just kind of like was a Diaries more of like a metaphor? Well, it's it, the thing is one. I think she does have a diary in that first movie, right? I, like, I think it's not a big deal, but also it's it's based on the book, and the book is like her oh, diary. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, yeah. But the book, it's one of those things. That but the there's book no the movie are two two very different beasts. But there is They're no diary. In, there's no book or diary in the second movie. They just got Raven Simone. It might be referenced. I haven't seen Princess Diaries two Royal yeah. Engagement in quite a while. Yeah, that's a that Chris Pine's in that movie. He is. He's the prince. You know what? I may have to watch that movie because also because Julie Andrews is in that one too. Yes, yes. She's great in that first movie. She slides down the stairs on the mattress and then they also put the dog on the mattress. She's awesome. She's awesome. She's great. You know Julie Andrews is like the giant Kraken monster in Aquaman? Yes. a fun fact it's a giant monster (laughs) right i did i just think i I was just about to think of julie andrews just her as a giant like monster but just it's just a giant julie andrews oh i was was gonna say like you know like the 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 videos of of uh, benedict cumberbatch doing smaug oh yeah on colbert yeah back in the day just do that but as 
Julie Andrews. Like yes. she's just like James. Just James Wan. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get invested. And she's got the tentacles. And yeah. I think that'd be funny. But I was just thinking of Julie Andrews just walking through a city singing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious as she like knocks down the building. It would be equally terrifying, but I would understand. I, I would be like, this is for the best. I, I feel. Yeah. This is, I mean, who, this is the spoonful. Deny, the spoonful like, of Julie sugar Andrews. is about to send me to hell. So it's like. Who uh, are you to deny what Julie Andrews wants? Whatever Julie Andrews wants, Julie Andrews gets. Can't deny it. Um, so, yeah. So, but anyway, going back to Anne Hathaway. Yeah. It, I mean, she really was making her way from getting away from the Princess Diaries. So it's like, you know, in 2008, she had Get Smart. And then when you look at, let me just name some movies up until this point. Rachel Getting Married. Bride Wars. Valentine's Day, Alice in Wonderland, um, Love and Other Drugs, um, Rio, she was in, The Dark Knight Rises, and of course, Alay Miz. She, right. it's and, and, you know, be- she's saying, you know, she's saying on set. Right, right. You know, <laughs> um, I, I'm so mad I can't remember that Regal thing. <laughs> There's just, again, I think we mentioned it, but briefly, back in the day, back in like when Alay Miz was coming out, we, we were at USC. So we, we had the Regal Theater at LA Live, and we would go there to see all our movies. And whenever we'd see the movie, there would be this preview, the Regal exclusive preview for Les Mis. And it would just be like about how, you know, they sang live on set, so they didn't go in a studio afterwards. And it's like you get to feel the emotion of the singers. And the thing was that it would legitimately play like every, before every movie between like July and November. Like, so every time we went to see a movie, we just saw this thing and we just knew it by heart by the end. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, and that's, of course, like, what have I like, done? She, she, Sweet Jesus, what have I done? That's the part I still remember. Yeah, that, that, that. Um, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, like, obviously she wins an Oscar for Les Mis. She gets nominated for an Oscar for Rachel getting married as mm-hmm. well. So she's definitely kind of made her way into kind of being, and I mean, it, it, like the Dark Knight Rises is, you know, 2012. That's a big deal of a movie. And well, then, you know, she was playing like that was a big deal. Like that was like, oh, like she's Catwoman. Like that's a big role to get. Yeah. She's Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. So she was working with Nolan and she's Catwoman. And then, you know, then she's going on to being an interstellar and, you know, back into oh, right. Interstellar yeah. exists. She's in. Uh, <laughs> um, But it really is all like and it's not in a bad way. It's like she really is spreading her wings everywhere like you she's, know she's in, she's every like she's, she's in she's been in kind of like every type of movie she's in drama she's in straight drama she's in animated kids films she's in drama comedies she's superhero in comedies, su- superhero like, comedy like indie, in mainstream big, films like indie blockbusters like really like all like, yeah she's she's one of those actresses who who really like likes to spread her reach mm-hmm. um and i think i think even until this day i feel like you know, obviously she uh, she had a kid, so that kind of she took a year off. But um, you know, and she's like, or know, did she, she, then, she? Did she take a year off? I mean, I, I well, she did, but there's a story about this movie that okay. involves a child. Well, but I mean, it's like even like recently, you know, like the Ocean's Eight, she's like kind of the the villain type or like the the mark. She's or the whatever, mark, yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, the mark, not the villain, but like the the mark, the person they're going after. You know, she was just in the that con, uh, the con movie, whatever that was. The hustle, not con. The hustle. There we yeah. go. Not con. Um, she was in Serenity, not... which has one of the best twists ever. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it here, but just right. look that movie up. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so 
that is interesting. So that leads into we're getting closer to the 2016 period. And uh, we get into how this movie, Colossal, really finds its footing. Um, so really, reports came out that um, Hathaway was the first person to sign up to this movie before there was really any other movement on the film. There, was really any, there wasn't really any financial backing to the movie. Uh, there was nobody else attached other than the writer and director. Um, and I mean, that's... That's a strategy. Yeah. Well, so, so the reason marketing and, and, and money to get the star first, and then hey, we have Anne Hathaway. Yeah, it it was interesting. Like you, you'd be super surprised by how many movies like actually finally get traction based off just one person being in it. I mean, it makes sense because it's like, oh, this person's going to be in it. James Gunn has this like wild story, which this is crazy, where he was talking about making Super. And uh, he said, like, you know, he and he was getting people involved in it, but it wasn't until, like, Liv Tyler was in it that, like, everybody started being like, oh, I'll be in the movie. <laughs> Which I'm like, oh, okay, that's awesome. Um, but anyway, so Hathaway uh, came across this script because she kind of felt like after being in so many different types of films that she, uh, as she quoted as she was in a bit of a no man's land in terms of creativity. So she was really looking for something uh, that spoke to her. Um, And then when she came across, um, she came across um, John, uh, I may, I'm hopefully I'm saying this name right. Is it Jonathan Dem or Demi Dem, the director of uh, silence of the lambs, Jonathan Deem Dem. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Um, uh, I've never known how to say his name, so I apologize. Um, but uh, screened a copy of the film "A Field in England," which is kind of like a. Uh, um, well, that's. Oh, not... I've seen that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw. I saw that in theaters. Uh, the oh, it's that. That's actually directed by Ben Whitley. Uh, oh, John, yes. uh, the, the director Jonathan Demp. I'm sorry. Uh, screened her a copy of it. Yeah. Um, do you know anything about that movie? What "A Field in England"? Yeah. I just told you I saw it. Yeah, I know. So what do you know about it? It's it's kind of a it, it's a very like kind of I would call it like kind of a psychedelic kind of like very how do I put it? Like um it's one of those movies where like you have to kind of put your own like thought into what it means. Like mm. there's very much a lot of vagary about what's actually happening and a lot of weirdness and lots of kind of random images and like the story takes many twists and turns and like it suddenly turns into a completely different movie like one of those types of movies mm. i think like the biggest thing for anne hathaway is that she was really drawn to the experimentation of genre in that movie yes, um, yes that, that, that's what it's like the what i kind of experimentation it's a very eric's experimental film is kind of the word i was looking for where it really will cross between kind of genre like very fluidly mm-hmm. from what i remember about it so she was interested. That kind of got her inspiration up to find a film like that, and eventually she came across uh, the. She was, uh, you know, through her representation, came across the script to Colossal, which she was very much, um, you know, embraced. She loved the idea, and she thought it was great. She also thought uh, the genre hopping of it also reminded her of films like Being John Malkovich. Um, which was one of her favorite films, and uh, this was just something that she just felt like she had to do. Like so, this so 
there really isn't too much to the green light of the story other than like, I mean, what other green light do you need than Anne Hathaway wants find your script, wants to do the movie yeah. and you know, it gets done. I mean, cause when you think about it, like at this point we just went over it, but Anne Hathaway, let's see if this is, um, this is 2016. So this is colossal. I mean, Lay Miz, even though that's in 2012, I feel like that stayed into people's minds a lot. I mean, she won an Oscar for it. Right. Like, she, 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 this one of those things where she is forevermore Oscar winner Anne Hathaway. Like, that's, and again, that does have pull, especially on a behind the scenes level, mm-hmm. is you can market the film as like, oh, she won an Oscar. But, but, but 2012, it's like, you know, she's, it's a post Dark Knight Rises. Like, once you're in like a Batman movie, once you're in a superhero movie, like, you kind of have, have it made where you see like a lot of these actors even coming to smaller roles like they kind of leverage like i was in you know i was big in this superhero movie like let's do this kind of more personal project like we see that uh, mm-hmm. more often than not in the in the recent days um so that brings us to the writer director nacho vigilando um who uh his previous um credits include um various little things like he did segments for the abcs of death and um, also VHS, one of the VHS films, which for those of you who don't know, is kind of like a horror anthology film. So yeah, another horror director. Mm-hmm. Right yeah, into gotta the love Kaiju those. world. Yeah, um, and uh, and then and then very and then various other uh, films that did he. Uh, let's see, a film called Time Crimes, which is one of the other, which is kind of like the other big one he's known for in like you know indie circles. Um, can't say I'm familiar with it. Uh, this is the movie that I'm most uh, familiar uh, mm-hmm. with. But um, that kind of leads me into just like, probably I'll just mention kind of what the film is about here and now. Um, and that, uh, because this also kind of leads into the story about how I found out about the film. Um, is that, so essentially the, the premise of the film is um, that the, uh, Anne, the the main character, played by Anne Hathaway, finds out that when she treks past a certain uh, patch of land uh, during her periods of um, being hungover uh, from her nights of drinking, when she travels past this pa- uh, this uh, uh, this park. little th- this park in her hometown, uh, that she is actually uh, controlling a a giant kaiju that's appearing in uh, Korea, that's appearing yes. in Seoul. Um, and, uh, you know, the monsters kind of like mimics everything that she does in her hungover stupor. And, uh, she finds out like one of the mornings that she pieces it together, that this creature is doing everything that she does this morning that she walks, uh, through the park. And, um, that's kind of generally the concept of the film. And then it, and it goes from there. What was interesting about this was I heard whispers about this film. And I don't know, I must not have did my research for it because when I was hearing whispers of this film and the pictures that people were putting out about it was like, oh, a distressed Anne Hathaway and it's a kaiju film. You know, I, for some reason, thought it was going to be kind of like more so of what everybody liked about Godzilla 2014, at least in the marketing. I thought it was going to be like a very grounded, like uh, some some kaiju drama, which is is cool. Uh, very much more in the vein of Gareth Edwards' first film, Monsters, um, where it was kind of more about the people and then it just took place in a world of monsters. It wasn't until the first trailer came out for the film where it was like, oh, this is going to be funny. Like, so, like, they, 
it, it, it's just the way that they they presented the idea. Like they're like, oh my god, there's a giant monster uh, in, in Korea, and then they kind of like through the visual language of the film, like showed like, oh, Anne Hathaway goes in the park and she raises her arm. It's like the big shot that they reveal in the movie. She like raises her arm in the park, and then like later on, she goes to watch TV, and then she sees what the monster's doing. It does the same exact thing she's doing, and um, yeah. and they play it humorously, um, which which was the thing. So right from then on it kind of grabbed my attention of like something that was going to be fun and a good experimentation of the genre i don't know what your kind of experience was leading into the film i mean i i remember it kind of being announced or kind of that first trailer of just like okay here's kind of another not another but like kind of here's one of those really kind of really cool concepts of just kind of like a, a smaller film doing kind of the the kind of a genre experimentation thing and it, you know it's like Anne Hathaway and other like Jason Jason Sudeikis mm-hmm. uh, is also in this movie so kind of like that one kind of one-two punch uh but it was one of those films that just escaped me for such a long time that I was kind of like oh like this seems cool and then I just never got to see it in like theaters and then came to home video and I never I just never never really touched it until now um it was always kind of on my radar as something interesting especially after this podcast especially mm-hmm. after doing this podcast for so long and i'm glad we're watching it for 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 the show um but it was one of those things where it just took took a while and it was funny because I, actually I'll, I'll save that for the movie i'll save that for the well movie. one of the things i will say about when that's kind of interesting in retrospect is when that pot when that trailer came out the selling point was that it was sold as funny it's interesting yeah. to go back and think, like, because, like, we talk about the well, Nolan think- Batman. Like, the thing about, like, the darkness of, of like, taking these properties was kind of, like, the new thing. Yeah. If, if not just, like, it, even if it was for a short amount of time. Like, now it's kind of, like, you know, we kind of go back and forth where it's, like, everybody's, like, oh, I'm, I'm done with, like you know, everything being Ragnarok, like, you know, give me, like, Joaquin Phoenix being the Joker. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like, you know, it goes back and forth. Everybody's like, now we want it to be like, like, no, we don't want jokes in this. But, like, when this comes out and it's, like, a little indie and it's like, oh, like, that Godzilla film looked really dour. And now, oh, this is a kaiju film and it's got jokes. And it, that was kind of, well, like, the selling point. I think, like I mentioned earlier, that I think that from a marketing standpoint, I think, like, the thought process is that that's kind of how you have to market it, mm-hmm. like, to get, like, eyes on it is, like, it's like so weird because it's like, you know, it's a regular, it's like, it's a, it's a coming home indie movie, but with kaiju nonsense in it. Mm-hmm. So I think like there's, there's kind of this, you know, within like the marketing and kind of like, how do we get people to see this movie? The, the instinct is definitely, well, because this seems so weird, we have to kind of embrace that and make it funny because if we, if we emphasize the dramatic element of it, then it might scare people away because sure. again, people, you know, people are concerned about genre confusion all the time. And, right. And that, right. Sort of, that sort of element. And it. it's also weird. I can get where a marketing person's like, how are we going to sell like a, a movie about drinking and abuse about, <laughs> but it's like, it's got a monster. About in emotional it? manipulation. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you can't really see like a tale about emotional manipulation. Here's a monster. Like you, yeah. you can't really, you can't really do that. Uh, but yeah, as you said, the movie also uh, the cast includes Jason Sudeikis, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, 
one thing I kind of completely forgot going into this movie when we, we I was rewatching for this podcast is that Dan Stevens is in it and Dan Stevens Dan Stevens is one of those guys who will just sneak into a movie like he'll he'll just kind of you'll you'll see him and he'll sneak into a movie and then he'll be like oh man Dan Stevens and is you here. know what you will be grateful that he's in it because Dan Stevens is the man and any pres- presence of Dan Stevens is a luxury. Yeah, yes, it, 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 it's welcome. It, it's welcome. Um, but I was kind of like watching. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Dan Stevens is in this. Um, so that's the cast. So the only other story that I did think was funny going before we kind of talk about the film. I should just say, I was just say right now, mm-hmm. also Bear McCreary does the score, which is kind of yes. funny. Just, just, like, it was just funny because I saw it at the end of the credits and I just saw the credits rolling. And when he, Barry McCreary is saying, like, he's here too. If you remember, like, like, if you remember when um, he had his panel that I talked about at Comic-Con last year. Yes. Uh, he, he did bring uh, his work from Colossal in, into that because, you know, he was talking about monsters and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, I saw did Colossal too, uh, which I think was at the time was because I was just starting to get into his work. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, he did do that. Yeah. Um, but funny story was that um, this movie uh, actually got hit by a lawsuit from none other than Toho themselves. Um, and then it's funny because when you go up, it's like, oh, like this movie was hit by a lawsuit with Toho. But when you actually go into the uh, into the uh, details of it, that apparently Voltage Pictures, who was uh, the production uh, company uh, attached to the film, uh, when they were um, you when they were promoting the film. As promotional material, they were using uh, images of Godzilla and other Godzilla films and like press documents. And um, Toho got wind of that, and then they said, "You can't, you can't do that." And yeah, that, it that all got settled. Um, but it is funny. It, it's funny, like this, this really very specific, like tightrope Toho rides with the guy because we always talk about how Toho is like really open to America doing like things with their films but apparently like their un- the unauthorized copyright thing they 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 hammer down on which i find well, yeah, very I, fascinating i would i would assume so i mean kind of nintendo is very similar mm-hmm. in a lot of ways oh yeah yeah um but that's a little different too yeah uh, that makes that makes more sense when you said like they, there was a lawsuit. I was like, oh come on! But like when you said they're actually using images of Godzilla and stuff. Well, like I had to look into that. it because I I said the same thing. I was like, oh what? Because it's just like a giant monster. But then no, right. it was specifically because they were actually promoting the film with Godzilla material, um, yeah. which you gotta you know, be gotta be gotta be creative about that. You can't just be using using the material. Yeah, I mean, I think people don't know. I mean, I think now you would know, but at the time, like. I don't think people realize like like I think they'd be like all right people like Godzilla but like right is it it's well, not I mean, like it's not like Batman like I think they would be yeah. like well we can't put Batman out there but Godzilla will put out there like it's yeah like, but I would also say that they also just had a major film true a year but and and what what when is this is like Shin's like right here too so it's also like they're also promoting a new Godzilla That's film true. in Japan as yeah. well. Yeah, Toho's so, actually now picking up how much they care about this franchise too. So they're probably doing that. Yeah. That's, that's a so really good point. So they're just being point. kind of protective, especially because it's also like when it's like a new film like this, like honestly, you just don't know until the movie comes out that it could be, you know, if you associate it with Godzilla, you know, damages or whatever. It's all nonsense, but there is kind of a sense of like, oh, this kind of weird, like different independent type of thing. You know, we don't know what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so have, this movie could have had kaiju having sex and nobody would have known. 
No. <laughs> Until the movie came out. You would never have known. Oh doesn't know. Well, there was a couple of little surprises in this film when it came out. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about it. Let's just get right into this movie. Uh, so we are going to take a little bit of a break, and here is Colossal. I just looked at the news, and I think I'm in shock. A giant monster just materialized over Seoul. That happened like nine hours ago. You're just hearing about this. What have you been doing all day? You ever notice how it just keeps destroying everything in its path, but it never looks down? It's like it's being operated by remote control. You gotta see this. It's dancing. It's dancing like. Holy sh. All right, and we're back. Yes, we are talking about Colossal, Colossal. from 2016. Yeah. Um. So this was this was a a fun one because I had already seen it. So this was kind of like also a little bit of me introducing the film, uh, uh to you. Um. And uh, I think I'll start with with, with this one. Um, this was a very, very fun watch for me the first time I saw it. Um, I, I, you know, without bearing the lead, I'm a huge fan of, of the of this movie. Like yeah. I, I, I really, 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 really like it. Um, and uh, one of the interesting things, kind of like peeking into my taste in film, is that it's also like a movie that is generally very difficult for me to watch like I, the one thing that i end and these are movies i end up liking quite a bit but like the whole self-destructive person who is like you know trying to get their life together and you know they you know and the whole either movie or if it's a series like the series is the trials of doing that and you know, you have to watch them make all the wrong decisions and then you hope that they find the lesson at the end. And then, you know, some of these, like, projects are more darker than others. Uh, it, it's a very, very difficult thing for me to watch. And I understand that's more of a me problem because I'm like, it, 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 my, my instinct is I can't connect to that. But I also have to, I also understand that, you know, this is a raw kind of, honest look at like you know humanity and everything and you know yeah. these are honest character pieces so uh it takes a little bit of maturity on my part throughout the years to kind of like really engage with films like this so my instinct is that i don't and then eventually i kind of like try to work past that to engage in the material and uh so with all that said like i i just felt like and and maybe this one being that it had like the kaiju stuff in it maybe yeah and this is kind of what I think the beauty of doing a film like this is, is that it is kind of a cheat, but it's kind of like, all right, you do the more mainstream monster stuff as like the hook, and that kind of like eases your entry into kind of like the more real stuff. Like, you know, I can see why people do it, because I think it worked for me in this one. Um, but ultimately, like my overall opinions of the movie is like, I, I think it's, I think it's a really, really great, drama comedy like that has the kaiju stuff like everything it's going for i think it does really well i think anne hathaway's great in it i think this may be one of my favorite things that jason sudeikis has ever done um i think he's uh, amazing uh in this 
And um, I think that it all comes together in a powerful way that makes the whole film uh, and the journey worth it, as um, kind of eye-rolling and lame as that sounds. But um, I, I just think the movie works. I would agree. Um, I, I genuinely enjoyed this movie. Uh, specifically, I, I thought that this had a great, uh, really, really good setup and mm-hmm. a, a really, really good first half. And then I think the second half is also very good. I think there is, for me, a little bit of, there's a little bit of a few like glitches in that mm. second half where I'll talk about those that don't like derail the movie, but just kind of things I'd like to bring up. It was funny going into this because I hadn't really rewatched the trailer in a long time. I kind of knew the general concept, but for some reason in my head, I, and I'm not saying this from a tone perspective, so bear with me on like what I was thinking. Uh, there was kind of an element of me thinking of this more along the lines, not of the tone perspective, but just in a general explanation, uh, uh, perspective of like something like enemy where it would be like okay it's much more like there's a little bit more of a metaphoricalness to it Mm. i think that i was going into it like i knew it was kind of like literally controlling the monster but like i didn't know like i was like i don't know if there's going to be like an explanation for like you didn't know if it was going to be like uh like artsy fartsy do you say enemy like the movie enemy well, I'm, I'm not saying not in terms of the tone or anything, but like, you know, like you've seen Enemy. Yeah, yeah. no, no. That's why I think that's great. Like, you don't know if it's going to be a movie where it's like, it's really artistic enough to interpretation where, right. I mean, it's right. it's a fairly, I mean, this movie's fairly straightforward. Like, it, it's very. No, it is. And it is. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoyed about that. Yeah, it, um, it's definitely mainstream indie, like in, in a yeah. way. Like, it is yes, indie. very but... much in that realm. Like, yeah. And this is the thing about this movie mostly that I kind of reacted to is like, this is the type of movie that I've been wanting for a long time. Because I remember we used to make jokes about oh like it's like a romantic comedy and then it like takes place during like a kaiju attack or something right like that. Like right we, and, I, and i think it really relates back to what i love about the show era and i always go back to it but one of the things i really liked about the show era films was just the experimentation of genre within those kaiju movies mm-hmm. like well, again when you go with the Ghidorah, and there's like a it's more like a, there's a politicalness and you get the sci-fi and you get into like even like godzilla reads again does kind of have these more like kind of sitcom romantic comedy elements to it and I think that just seeing a movie like this just inherently is fun to watch because of the imagination. Because I think if any like any genre could fit in any genre, we're we're kind of those people that's like genre mixing is no we have no qualms about genre mixing. And I think the kaiju genre is very much something where true genre mixing with it is relatively unexplored. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity for like you to do different genres within a kaiju movie because you can take kind of any type of movie and just insert the giant monster and find creative ways to do it. And I think that's where Colossal succeeds is it kind of takes this really requisite like coming home again indie drama slash dark comedy that you've seen many, many spins on. Mm-hmm. over the years and adding the kaiju into it just kind of brings a different flavor to it yeah i mean always the biggest challenge and even in kaiju films is how do you thoroughly connect the human because the scale is different how do you thoroughly connect the human yeah. stuff to the, the the monster stuff um and there's a really thin line that i think mostly is uh walked fairly well in, in this film i i do think that the the film kind of explains things it doesn't need to explain, but I'll get into that later. I, um, I think that would be a fair assessment. Yeah, I, I, I think that, but the, the but that is the biggest thing, is like, the I think the biggest hurdle that the movie needs to overcome is, you know, because ultimately how it connects this giant premise of 
this this uh this woman in her hungover stupor walks through this park every morning and what she does in this park is actually controlling this monster that appears in soul um and so that's like the big concept of it like you're that's like your pitch uh, and the details of it is like, okay, so the woman you're following is a woman who, you know, you know, she stays up late drinking every night. She can't get her life together. She's like kind she's of basically an alcoholic. Yeah, she she she's an alcoholic um, and uh, um, distant, has no direction. And, you know, she's uh, her her and her, boy, her boyfriend kind of like split up. So she goes back to her hometown. She has no prospects. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, how does she get back up on her feet? Um, you know, it, it should also be known because I've seen movies like this that go way more rock bottom than, than she does in this yes. movie. So it's yeah. more of like she. I mean, she's a deadbeat. I mean, let's be real. I mean, that's how they yeah. portray her in the movie. She's a, she's a well, deadbeat. I mean, like what I would say about that is like even just from the first like the, the movie in a microcosm is almost like the first two scenes, like the opening of the movie, and the first two scenes you see because your first scene is kind of this uh is in korea and this little girl's looking for her doll and she finds a doll and sees this mo- the monster materialized for the first time and it's like screaming so it's like okay giant monster movie then it like says 25 years later and then you cut to Anne hathaway coming home hungover and dan stevens being very pissed off at her and breaking up with her mm-hmm. like on unex- kind of unexpectedly right and like you if you separated those two and like just showed one person one scene and one person to another scene they would think it's two different movies mm-hmm. like that opening scene with Anne Hathaway getting like with with her argument with Dan Stevens and them breaking up is the opening of so many types like you could just have the whole rest of that movie be just a regular she returns right. home movie right and, and, and i think and, that and, and it's also I think that that's the key you're right and it's also good because it doesn't like even that scene tonally isn't like super drama like it isn't super like i mean it's serious but you know it's still played with more of like a like a uh like an approachable drama you know what i mean like it's not like rachel getting married like it's not like it, it, right, it, yes. it's not like that like uh serious like it, it's yeah. kind of um you know the it's relatable but you know it's not dark quite yet um so that's kind of like uh, what the what you're dealing with uh, here, and I and I found that I found that the movie really carefully connects how does this more personal uh, um, story fit in with these big with with the big monster stuff, because ultimately I think the the underlying kind of like theme and message of the movie is also getting into like okay like being accountable for your actions like you know you just can't like you know live your life how you want it like irresponsibly without it like affecting like other people and um and with that comes a lot of other baggage that they don't necessarily explore in the movie that much but they kind of touch upon so i mean they touch upon little things like you know this is happening in seoul but like you know does like the rest of the world actually care about it while we're like you know we're safe here doing whatever we want to do and you know this is affecting other things in the world so there's more of a global lesson in that there's the personal lesson of like you know our my actions are going to um you know uh cost other people like you know they're going to have repercussions um so all of that it it, through all of that they're able to weave in these two genre types 
pretty like very well like very impressively i think yeah i know i thought i thought so too um especially again in that first half it just really is seamless it mm-hmm. really just feels like this is the movie it's meant to be we are going into like you know she's returning to the hometown and, and getting reunited with jason sudeikis and still dealing with kind of the drinking issue and stuff like that well also kind of really kind of melding in the the kaiju attacks on soul and kind of the reaction to it and that's one thing i want to say right now since you mentioned it that's one of those things I've kind of always wanted to see in, in a kaiju movie. Um, and we kind of get it. We get it to an extent a little bit in 2014 Godzilla. But like even going back again all the way to like uh, Astro Monster, I was kind of saying I'd like to see kind of how the rest of the world like reacts to it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that the when they first see the attack, like when she first sees the attack and when they're like watching it in the bar and talking about it, like I thought that that was like so awesome to like see that perspective because even in like 2014 you see it a little bit with uh with elizabeth olsen seeing it like reacting when her kids watching the tv but i think that just the kind of the all of just like even her first reaction of her just like like immediately going into like shock of just seeing like a giant monster just walking around mm-hmm. like you know and that just being real it's just it's just, it was so again just the thing that i've wanted to see in like these types of movies for for a very long time is like to see it that monster attack from from it's just another part of the world. Well, yeah, there there comes a certain point in the movie where she pieces together this is what's happening. And that's also awesome, by yeah. the way. That's that's just the whole I, I thought that they cleverly showcase like how she would figure it out. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the, the the way that she figures it out, like the way that she kind of clues herself in for the first time is like she has this tick when especially when she's drunk or like when she's nervous or about to drink where she like scratches her head Mm -hmm. uh, and she sees the monster do that exact thing. And it's like, she knows like, that's me. That's what I do. And then she pieces together like, Oh, and like the original attack, it looked like he was carrying something because she was carrying something. And then the, the, the scene where she like lifts her arms up, goes back home and watches it. And just again, classic shot of her against the TV and the Mm -hmm. monster's arms go out like she did. And you just see her head. It's just, and it's like great. And it's great acting by Hathaway. Uh, in and, that and, moment, and the, and the film does a good job of like weaving in and out of what the tone is too, because it all it all keeps it approachable the entire time. Yeah. But all of this stuff is kind of played like, oh, it's fun, and you kind of get to relax because you know the stakes. It's not like a monster just rampaging around, so you you know you can kind of you you kind of have some comfort where it's like, well, you know, Anne Hathaway is not going to go around killing people, so it's like you yeah. know the monster's good, and then they play it, and then eventually when the repercussions come out, um, then it gets a little bit more serious and then it kind of snowballs from there. Um, but the big thing is like, you know, she is, you know, she finally tells like this new group of, you know, quote unquote friends at this time that she meets uh, in her hometown, uh, Jason Sudeikis and Tim Blake Nelson. Um, and the other guy. And, and this other guy. Um, the, the, the young, the young handsome one that she wants to sleep with is <laughs> like kind yeah. of how it is. Um, but uh, she tells them, like, hey, like, listen, this is what's happening. Like, I'm controlling this monster. And, um, you know, you know, she's kind of, like, fooling around. And, you know, she's, like, dancing. And then she's like, oh, like, hey, like, you know, she, she's messing around. And then um, she realizes, like, when she, she, like, puts up her hand. And then the monster in Soul, like, crashes like a helicopter. <laughs> and it's really funny. It's dark, but it's really funny because she's, like, you know. And then it also establishes the rules. Like, the filmmaking's really good here where it's, like, the it crashes into the monster's head, but then she feels it. Um, yeah. you know, not fatally, but she feels like something happened. So you're establishing the rules that like, all right, what happens to the monster? They can kind of feel on the human end. But you know, she does that and she's like, What happened? 
she's like, oh, you you like a helicopter crashed, and she's like, with like, with like the pilot and people inside of it. <laughs> it was such like an like a, a such an innocent like, oh my god, did I kill somebody? <laughs> like yeah. like Anne Hathaway is truly great in this movie. Um, but that was like a moment where you're like, and that's kind of where that theme about like, okay, like her messing around is kind of having repercussions. I think this movie, even more so than than Get Smart, really reminded me of why I love Anne Hathaway. Yes, yeah. Because Anne Hathaway is someone who's like, you know, I'm I'm of that we're of that generation. I'm, I'm can very specifically remember that I went to see The Prince's Diaries in theaters. Like that was like I went to see it with, with the family. You know, I have two sisters, and we went to see it, and we watched it on DVD a lot when it came out on on DVD. And I remember specifically like watching the her Oscar win and being like, this is weird because I kind of saw her whole career. Like I was someone who was like, I saw her first movie mm-hmm. and I've basically seen every piece of the step away. And, but she's, I think she's someone who's, I, I really do enjoy her in like almost everything that I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll even give her the credit for the, the Alice movies. Uh, oh yeah. Know, she, no, I mean, she's fine. I mean, she's good, but, but... I, mean, I, I just, I, I, I think that this is one of those movies where it's just like, I think that just showcases her versatility uh, well, within, I, within a scene. I, I, I think that when you look at it, like one of the things, and she's good and gets smart, like for what the role is, but you can tell like she's playing like serious, like straight man in this movie where everybody else gets to be funny. Um, mm-hmm. In this one, she's just more naturalistic. She gets to be yeah. funny. She gets to be dramatic. And I think it just speaks more to like how she is. And I, and I also think her tendencies kind of lead to like what she wants to be funny when she wants to be like when you look at the rest of her career i mean like when you look yeah. at things like like oceans eight like when you look at her role in that like i think that's more of you know honestly i think i, I think it's for the best that hemsworth did ragnarok and pushed to do that because now i think it's like i think now everybody's getting the bug where it's like well wait a minute i didn't know you could be like an attractive act actor or actress doing movies and then you just get to be funny in movies <laughs> and i think now that's what Anne hathaway is doing um I think, and i think this is like the, yeah. the the start of that really one of the things also about her performance and just the movie in general that i think is a very big key to making the movie work is that her acting and the movie never go really over the top oh no with the, with the, with the drunkness specifically because I think this movie could have been really derailed if you had gone really dark and really over the top with her her drunkness and her drunk issues. And I think it really does kind of toe that line where it's like she's an alcoholic, but also she's kind of a functioning alcoholic in that way. It, it kind of feel, made it feel more real because I think, you know, the instinct with alcoholism is to really show the lowest of the low and like you're like you're you're all passing out in the park. And she does do that at one point, but there's there's a little bit more of kind of a subtlety to her alcoholism that kind of makes the movie more palatable whereas i feel like if you had gone real deep into that it kind of would have maneuvered it a little bit differently so i i i think that's her credit too is, is really kind of acting well in that kind of her drunken super and her hangoverness to kind of not make that movie like too dark in mm-hmm. that respect specifically i mean there's a place for a movie like that there's another movie i was just looking up um it's a sarah silverman movie called i smile back which is like that and it's another movie that for similar reasons like i find very hard to watch but i actually like um and maybe it's just because it's like oh sarah silverman can do a role like this um but that is a movie where it's like it's as rock bottom as you can get and and there are places for it like that but you know you're right i think the way that they portray it in obviously like she's an alcoholic in terms of like she drinks too much but 
it's more of like the uh Tessa Thompson and Thor Ragnarok alcoholic where it's just like you're just irresponsibly drinking all the time yeah. <laughs> like well, I mean, you're it's, like it's, you're, it's, it's, it's more of like you just are not maintaining any responsibility like it's right. like you it, are a, just... you are a man child like it, it, it's yes. kind of that's how they do it where you know it's like she's sleeping in till like two or right so, or whatever, well like the clip know, that we played like which I think really encapsulate encapsulates what's the human trauma of this and it's in the movie where she's like oh like I, I heard about this you know this monster attack and like well that was nine hours ago what have you been doing all day right which she's, is, she's which just is been really passed funny. out because she's like been up all night drinking yeah that type of thing but um, it's, like, it's kind of like that and i think that works fairly well um one thing there's a there's a beat of the movie i do want to talk about that i think really drives home what makes this movie work but i can't talk about it until i talk about jason sudeikis jason yes, sudeikis I- when i first saw this movie blew me away I thought, like, I mean, I like Jason Sudeikis. I think he's funny in things. I think he's good in things. I think this was the first time I saw him do a role like this. But I, I think he's done roles like this. But, I mean, if, essentially, he's the villain of the film. Um, go th- ahead. I mean, this is, uh, Jason Sudeikis seems like a very nice guy. And mm. I've enjoyed him in many things. But he was built to play kind of white, <laughs> douchey, controlling right. asshole. Right. Like his he just has the perfect kind of look in the face for it. Uh, and I, I agree that I think like he he encapsulates that role so well. And I think another again, another key of the movie is they give him enough red flags where you kind of know like early on like this so- something's not. Like right here. This was the but, thing I wanted to bring up to you because, especially rewatching the movie, the the transition from when you know, it's kind of like when you meet him in the movie for the first time. You know that this guy's like, there's something off about him. He's probably not a great guy, but being all fair is fair. He hasn't done anything. Well, I th- to I like make you hate him yet. <laughs> yeah, well, my thing is like with this is. I think it toes this really good line between you see, you can kind of get the red flags, but you can also see the movie going in the direction where it's like it's two people having issues, but they get connected and they fix each other's issues type of thing. Where you could see, because there's these movies of the returning to the hometown are usually one of two ways. It's like they return to the hometown and they meet the guy from their childhood and it's like, this was the true guy I liked all along. Mm-hmm. Or they meet the guy from their childhood and they realize like, oh, I need, like, there's someone else out there. Right, right. Or, or, or there's some issue. So I think that this movie kind of does it to itself where it's like, yes, there's red flags, but you could kind of see like there's a charming nature to Jason like like all these white assholes have. There's a charming nature that he's kind of seemingly friendly. Yeah, he'll do some asshole things, but maybe that's just his personality. And then you kind of see him grow into a psychopath like there's no other way to put it like you just see him grow into like this absolute nutcase uh throughout the movie but still see, kind but of, that, in a, that's kind of a realistically kind of like in a realistically kind of hard to watch way mm-hmm. as you mentioned i i think what what's the key for it is that he what's the beauty of it is really that i i actually think a little bit differently i don't think fundamentally i mean other than like the circumstances of the film kind of like elevate certain things He's really the same character throughout. Like he just the, maybe drinks more, like a little bit. Yeah, like the the thing about yeah, it, it's like that, when you first see him, he's like, because you're right. There's so many red flags. There's like little things, like okay, like he's getting like way too involved in this person's life, and then like you know he's like letting himself into the house, like you know, like little little uncomfortable things like that. But he's not quite doing anything like wrong he's getting too aggressive with some of his friends at certain points but and another thing too is that the movie 
like I think the biggest key to what makes this character work is that throughout the movie there really is no overt like um romantic or sexual chemistry between him and Hathaway. Yes. Like yes. they don't really lean into that. They just kind no, of I lean agree. into this he's yeah. an asshole. Like and he like right. he's more controlling or like and it's kind of surprising when you watch the whole movie and they never really play that card. They never no, really play no. the card of like, like she immediately she's into that younger guy. Yeah. Like, well, but I mean like they do play the card that like he gets like like really controlling when, you know, he he kind of pieces together that um Anne Hathaway and the younger guy slept with each other. Um yeah. they play that card but it, it really isn't um anything more than that which i no, no, I, no. I think it's, is the key just, to making right. that character work yeah but I, I was gonna say like when i say like a psychopath it's like i agree that oh, his he character is. doesn't, like, <laughs> You're he doesn't right. really change but what i would say is like you know again it's like that beginning part of the movie it's like you kind of see the flags and you kind of see it mm-hmm. but it's like you know maybe it's like five ten fifteen percent like yeah. that you know it's like he's kind of you know he's genuinely kind of like He's playing like the kind of I'm the nice guy trope. I'm getting you a TV. I'm helping you like get a job and stuff. But there's there's kind of again, there's just a charm where it's like there's kind of a seemingly a genuineness. Like there is kind of like, hey, man, like you're living in your old parents abandoned house like Mm -hmm. with with no furniture. Like, hey, I'll get you a TV. Right. Right. Whereas like once you get the movie, it's just his him showcasing his true self kind of just increases right. more and more until you get to the very well, end of the movie. Th- there's the he's... big scene where he calls out Tim Blake Nelson, where it's just like the big turning point, I think, for me in terms of for like... His, especially for his character. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, and he just knocks it out of the park, which is where it's like, you know, Tim Blake Nelson says he's going to leave, and he's like, oh yeah, you should leave. And then like Tim Blake Nelson turns back, and then like Jason Sudeikis just explodes. He's like, I thought you were leaving. Like it's just like, it, it, like he he's he's great. Let, he won't let Tim Blake Nelson get the last word. Right. Like the thing is, is like Tim Blake Nelson is about to be like, you know, he's trying to get like, he's like trying to say, at least I'm not a, you know, like something like you. Like he's trying to get it, and then he just Jason Sudeikis will not let him get the last word, and then eventually Tim Blake Nelson just leaves, and that's exactly yeah. the type of person that Jason Sudeikis' character is. Is that he always has to be, you know, he has to find himself in charge. He has to be, find himself on the winning end of the situation. And that we get into, that's like his issue with, with Hathaway's character is that Hathaway has always been like the more successful person than him. Yeah. He's always I, been smarter and, and cooler and, and, and got out of the town. Yeah. Like he's like, he's like kind of, uh, his whole thing is that he's taken over his dad's bar and, and it, you know, he's kind of like, you know, made it less fun and like modernized it. In yeah. Some ways. And he, and, and like, he like tried like, to like move in with somebody and it didn't work out. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was just thrown and surprised by how commanding and dangerous he can be just with his, you know, just, you know, without being like really physical about it. Like it, it's not really until the third act of the movie I mean, they build up naturally to when he gets physical, and and yes. there even is a restraint in that. Like, you know, the the mo- the movie's very selective of when he gets abusive, um, which I find very fascinating. Like, um, like he at times he only really starts getting like physically abusive when pushed to, um, which I find yeah. fascinating just from like a character build. Um, but up until then, the fact that just how commanding he is in his just his performance just most of the time he's just being emotionally manipulative sitting back in like you know in the bar or in a chair or something like that yeah. and and right. like, all. He, he definitely is subtly doing it earlier and then he makes it more explicit mm-hmm. as the movie goes on especially yeah. once we get to like 
other part of the character that we we learn about that I don't think we've mentioned yet, um, which is a big part of the movie and especially a big part of the second half, mm-hmm. is he's also in control of a giant creature. He, right. Right. When he steps in that same when he steps in that same park, it's discovered that well, well, Anne Hathaway has the giant kaiju. He appears in Seoul as a giant robot. Right. And he's mm-hmm. controlling the robot's actions. Right. And that, that was which, kind of like uh, when the movie then, came out was like the big twist of the movie. It's like, oh, there's, there's also like, you know, he's a robot too. Yeah. Um, so that is so. And so the reason I wanted to talk about that is because then there comes a certain point of the movie where now this whole controlling these monsters and this patch of the park being like representing uh, Seoul is now that that's kind of becoming the stakes of the film. It's like, you yes. know, you know, Anne Hathaway's like kind of like this thing, like, listen, like we were messing around and, and, you know, she causes some destruction and it's all beautifully done in the movie. And then she tries to apologize by like, as the monster writing an apology note in, in the ground and soul. And then, you know, she's trying to step away from it, you know, do better and then Jason Sudeikis is you know a drunk deadbeat and he's messing around in 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 the in the park uh and and thus being a giant monster messing around in Seoul and then ultimately he's just continuously takes it too far um to the point that one of the best scenes in the movie and really just it, like it's one of those testaments where sometimes you roll your eyes about like see what you could do on a shoestring budget sometimes i roll my eyes on this but this is one of those things where it's like no this is the magic of a shoestring budget is like yeah. there's that bit where you know she's like listen get out like you know stop messing around you're going to kill people and then eventually we get to the point where jason sagas just doesn't care which is another going back to that theme about like you know how you know, you can even take it up to like, you know, when you're in a certain part of the world, you just don't care what's going on elsewhere. Like, or uh, whether it's something as big as that or just as primal as like, you know, you're just going to be um, nihilistic and just care about yourself and no, don't care about like the repercussions don't mean anything to you. So well, there's like, go ahead. Yeah, especially for him when he now with his character, he has. He has an aura of power now, mm-hmm. which he's never really had before. Like he has yes, that that is a big key. That, that's a big part like part of the character. He has this power of like I can destroy the city, I can kill these people, I can do whatever I want because, and nobody will be the wiser. Like mm-hmm. he has this this power because you get to the scene where like they they have a couple of fights in the park, mm-hmm. like you know, and and the first time like Anne Hathaway like slaps him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's funny to kind of considering too that this is again being seen by the entire world because right. they're all focused on on the soul stuff. But the first time, like he slaps him, and there's kind of a little bit of a struggle, but then he like kind of walks away. Mm-hmm. And then well, the well, also that- the, the 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 best part about that scene too is that she slaps him, and then you're right, everybody's watching it, and he can hear everybody like the entire neighborhood like cheering her on because now the narrative is like her monster is the good guy, and then this right, robot she- is the bad guy. Her, and, she at one point she she like makes an apology mm-hmm. uh so she's kind of been like in, like she writes it in korean she mm-hmm. says like sorry like sorry this happened i made a mistake it won't happen again and so now the korean people are kind of oh like maybe this monster's good and then you know again we get the news where it's like you know they're cheering her on and yes you're right like and again like her his whole thing that he eventually has is that at every step it seems like she's always had a better handle on life in some ways, like mm-hmm. she got to be the writer in New York, like she got to move away from the town. She had the better science project when they were kids. Like there's always kind of this thing 
Uh, and even like when they, when she returns to town, there's kind of, she has, you know, mm-hmm. and he's trying to kind of control the narrative by like giving her the TV and giving her the couch and a futon and everything like that. But like, she still kind of becomes a focus. Right. Even, right. even, even with that. So there's an element of that too. So, so when she like slaps her and the, then everybody's seeing like the monster slap him being the robot um, and everybody's cheering for him. It's kind of like even more of this psychological kind of like, a psychological slap in the face. Like we were now, it's not only an intimate scenario, but now the entire world is essentially like laughing at him. Like, so it, it, yeah. it's even worse. Um, but it all, it all ultimately leads into this scene where he's like, listen, I, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm going to come in, in and mess up with this, you know, in this park and do whatever I want. If you don't do what I say, and there's this great scene where, you know, he knocks Anne Hathaway out and she's like kind of like, you know, on the ground, like, uh, you know, from the pain or whatever. And it's this close up of like Anne Hathaway and then his feet are coming down on the ground. Yeah. But the sound design is as like as if it's out of a monster movie. So you hear like the footsteps and the people screaming and Anne Hathaway selling because she knows what's happening on, on the ground level that like these actions are actually killing people. Um, right. and, um, and she sees like the footprints. Yeah. Like. Uh, like in in the in the in the wood chippings or whatever, right? Exactly. Uh, so she it's kind of like her like those footprints are probably you know in right. Seoul somewhere. Um. So I and I thought that was probably one of like the best like like you can almost see it as like if this was a short, this is like the, what they did in the short, <laughs> like right. you know but what it's a shoestring I mean, budget. It also it's really, really again, cool. That's that's the scene that more so than anything really combines the two because right. The huge genres because it's just you see these giant feet and you hear the screams, but it's in this park. Mm-hmm. And and Hathaway is giving this very like she's very upset and very, very Well that know, that's that's the scene, you're right. I, I think that really kind of brings home how why this movie works as a yeah. kaiju film and as a uh as, as an independent kind of drama. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um there was a few, I mean, did you have, I mean, I was going to get into kind of like a few kind of like nitpicks and things I, 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 I yeah, wasn't I mean, I can su- get into nitpicks. I mean, there's a couple of other th- like thematic things that I yeah. really liked. Because I want to end, uh, I'll end on the ending, which I think is great. And so yes. I, I don't want to um, end on nitpicks. Well, I think I'll, I'll save some of my thematic stuff for when we talk about the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, if we talk, talk about glitches or, or like nitpicks, um, I, I really didn't think that um the the two other buddies in the bar i think like they were used effectively enough mm-hmm. but i also don't feel like they really came to a nice like conclusion type of deal because mm-hmm. i think they they're kind of like part of the group and you kind of see again how jason kind of controls everybody like even though like the one moment where tim blake nelson is trying to do a trick uh with this tea bag and he's telling the story about being an astronaut or whatever. And Jason Zick is just fucking with him. It's like, why are you telling about talking about this astronaut and all that sort of stuff? And then like he does the trick and you know, it's like, fine, I'll do the trick without the story. Then he does the trick. It's like, what would have been better with the story? Right. It's right. one of those things like, yeah, it's kind of what's kind of fun again, just reading into the whole movie is like on the one hand, yeah, that is kind of like, oh, friends busting balls, but it's really just another way that Jason today is his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, controls his friends that he's kind of like never really satisfied and it's thing. but like but like Tim Blake Nelson has like that big like thing where it's like I'm walking out of here and like Jason Tzakis won't get the last word and then we like never see him again 
which is like I'm, it's fine, but I'm also like it could you could have had like maybe one moment between. Like one moment I'm surprised back. that Tim Blake Nelson doesn't come back at some at a certain. Yeah, no, point. I, I, I'm sure I would bet like it's one of those things that was probably in the script at one point and then just kind of got lost. Oh like, well, here's lost. The, here's the thing. I think it's weird that that younger guy gets the whole. Like, oh, good for her. Like, you know, he gets the whole, yes. like, that little beat. I'm like, dude, you were kind of complicit in this abuse, though. <laughs> like, I was about to mention that. Out because of there's all this, the guys, whole, like, you're the whole, one that whole, gets it? Well, there's a whole thing where it's like she ends up, does end up sleeping with him. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, she finds, like, um, you know, that's when she sees the TV and finds that uh, Jason Sudeikis is, like, in the park and he's, like, taunting Soul. Like, he's not really destroying anything, but he's, like, you know, like messing around with the city. And right. so she runs out of there and she kind of sees like, this is where they really have their first big fight. And it's like, she punches him. And then like, there's like, she like kind of, he brings her down in a chokehold. So there's like an actual fight here. And he's like actually kind of drunk. And then the next time you see him is like, you know, he, uh, the younger guy, Joel right. comes back to her house. And he's like, you know, you think it's like, Oh, are you checking up on here? Are you okay? And he's like, and then he goes into like, oh, like Jason today because it feels really bad. So he gave you this whole truck full yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's like, oh, he, he didn't really mean it. Like, it's like, oh, come on, dude. Like, that's so like textbook. Like, and I think this leads into other thematics. Right. But even that, like, you, there's never really a conclusion to that either. Like, her, her, like her, good for her. Like, because even he is like, you think like, oh, maybe he's going to be the one who like also joins her and calling him out, like truly calling him out. Yeah. Right. But then he kind of just becomes complicit again because he's the kind of guy. Like who's like I don't want anybody to fight. Like, I want to oh, fight I yeah, I, I don't mind. I mean, it makes sense that they make him and, complicit. It's just kind of like it's weird that they give him this final like, like oh, good that, for her moment. Yeah, I just think that both of those characters were just like not really utilized like right at the end of the movie very well. Like I think you could have yeah, had at least I, one more. I think I you could have had yeah, one more beat with each that. of them. I wouldn't yeah. argue. I wouldn't argue that. I, I I think one of the other kind of like n- good fun things about those characters though is like they kind of imply that each of those characters, like, and this is why Jason Sudeikis is kind of like, you kind of have this thing where it's like, Jason Sudeikis is kind of trying to make Anne Hathaway like an honorary member of this, like, these, um, this deadbeat group. Like, you know, he's stuck there. Uh, They, you know, they talk about Tim Blake Nelson's character. You know, he has a cocaine problem. They never really get into what the younger guy's issue is, but they kind of imply something happened. But then also you don't know how much of this is just Jason Sudeikis being an asshole or is Right, because like, the whole thing is like yeah. with Tim Blake Nelson's character, because that's the big scene where he's yelling, you know, Jason Sudeikis in the bar and like yelling at everybody. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of says like, oh, we know we go to the bathroom, like, because, you, you know, you can snort whatever you want. You just have to tell us. And like, you know, James Blake's like, I haven't done that in 10 years. I've been clean for a long time. Right. And Jason's like, yeah, sure. But like, you know, it's like, again, being the controlling was like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, sure, you've been clean. Like, we, we all know you've been clean. Like, come on, buddy. Like, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so there's that. But again, I just like wanted like even a moment between like, you know, Anne and, right. and, and Tim Blake Nelson or like a last scene between her and Joel because Mm. it's just like it really feels like those characters are kind of left off when like they really felt like they needed just one more concluding beat to them yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that um one one little and this is more really a nitpick um is that so um this this plot line with her uh with Dan Stevens with with Tim yeah with, with, with Tim as he comes back because they kind of like you know, they're, they're, you know, they go, they, they, throughout the movie, they do this back and forth where, you know, she's trying to reach out, but she keeps messing up. And like, you know, she's calling him when she's drunk or she calls him, but then she kind of like ghosts him and 
things like right. that. And then, and then, well, it's just like, you kind of think, cause that's a point where she's starting to make these decisions on her life where it's right. like, you right. know, do I really need like, cause she's desperate for Tim because the whole point too, is like the reason she's back in her hometown is that she's a writer who lost her job mm-hmm. because of like a, um, like a bad com, like a, a, a bad turn of phrase, a bad comment right. where it's like, she wasn't fired for it, but she was like next round of layoffs. She was like the first one gone. So she's been out of work for like a year, hasn't made any money. So she's been like living with, with Dan Stevens. And so when she, when she's broken up with, and he's like, he's already packed up her stuff. She has like nowhere to go. So right. she's kind of desperately trying to like connect back with Tim because like she wants her life in New York back. Right. Then there's a point where like, okay, she, Tim's calling her, and then she decides I'm not going to pick up. I'm going to like you know like move on with my life. A key to the movie should also be that the movie's very much aware of like Anne Hathaway's failings. Like I mean, yes. it, this isn't like something and, where it's like oh like you know she's like free to do whatever she wants. Like it, it is pretty aware that you know this is like a, a toxic like lifestyle. Lifestyle. And I also living. think another key to it, by the way, is the fact that they don't do like she dips back into it. Mm-hmm. Like once she starts going clean, cause there's a point where she stops drinking and she's, she's only doing water. Like there's like a very scene where it's like Jason Sudeikis is like, you basically like that Tim Blake Nelson scene. It's like, if you don't drink that beer, I'm going to walk in the park tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so she approaches the beer and then like pours it like right in out in front right, of him. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause there's like, again, like it's like, Oh, like she kind of forces herself to start drinking again. And it like kind of goes back down. But the fact that she like actually starts correcting her life and like keeps on that path, I think, is also a key to making the movie palatable. Right. Um, yeah, but but the, the, but, the you're thing... saying, but, the, but the, eventually, what happens is Tim yeah he calls up and says like, "Oh, I'm here for a meeting in right. town," and like mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway's immediately suspicious of it. And like again, it's like because because Dan Stevens' whole thing is that he's controlling in his own way, that he is someone who like he continually dresses her down and kind of yeah so her, like, i, I, I want to get about I, her life th- this is kind of where it's it's really more of a nitpick because i i also uh, appreciate and acknowledge that this is where it's getting into the this is just you know relationships like this and conversations like this are just naturally messy and uncomfortable to have and like everybody's mm-hmm. kind of wrong everybody's kind of right at the We've same all time had this type of relationship yeah talk it, at it, some point exactly yeah. um but it, it did throw me a little bit because the movie actually does kind of a good job of staying this course of like you know she's trying to get her life together and yes the boyfriend's kind of being harsh but you know he's also kind of like a like a tangential character he's not like a big uh, like influence on the film and they do this thing where they reintroduce him and he's kind of a dick like and i kind of get like what they're going for and i and i understand like you know you're right he's be, you're right he's being controlling in his way but it was something where it was a bit of a disconnect for me. I I didn't feel like like when you're watching the first half of the movie, everything kind of seems reasonable why he's upset, and yeah, then I when think- they reintroduce the character, he's like really laying. And now again, I think to be fair, this is also the reality of a conversation like this. I I, I actually can understand why you know he's being very carried. Like obviously he's not being like Jason Sudeikis toxic. But right. also it's showing that, like, does it really help that he's dressing her down like a parent? Like, you know, that right. that's and, not and, necessarily and like, the know, most helpful he has, thing. Yeah, he has her own, he has his own vision for her life. Like, you're not right. a waitress. Like, 
you don't live in this type of town. Right. Like, you're not this person. It's like, you know, who is who is he to say? I would I would but also I would but agree. The- I think that I think that the first scene, there is a little bit of this like, you know, there it, I, I get like, you know, he's done, but there is a dickishness of just like, okay, well, you're on the streets like right now and there's no like talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the way they also present that first scene is like this has been going on for a while and you can kind of get that, yeah, it's a dick move, but possibly you know, this is the last straw. Whereas I feel like there are other ways to communicate that earlier in the in, in that first scene. Right, as much as right. I love that first scene with her and him in that argument, I feel like I feel like they try to they showcase like his his kind of like, you know, he needs to, you know, he's kind of trying to to shame her into changing her life style. It's yeah, like actually and, and, trying to help her. The, uh, but I, I feel like it could have been a little bit like that's the thing where it's like it's subtle, but I think it could have been a little more explicit to kind of help out the movie. Yeah, objectively, it's not like you know you look at it; it's not like the right way to talk to somebody. But it, it's also like you the the disconnect for me is like, but you're also telling showing me a movie where I think the movie is aware that these are not the right steps for Anne Hathaway's character to take. But then I'm also supposed to be like. Oh, but this character is a dick for calling that out. So that that this is why it's a nitpick. It, yeah, it's, it's just it's a more slight. So like, again, dis- it's just the way he's calling it out, right? Yeah. Because again, again, there's like the subtlety of like, there's a way to help somebody, and this is like shaming someone to change their lifestyle is like not the right way to go about things. Yeah, like especially in this type. Like mm. if you're if you're trying to shame someone for murdering people, like like little like not like kaiju murdering people, but like stabbing people, then maybe. But like, like this whole alcohol thing, like you need to kind of actually help the person. And, and even in that first scene, as, as kind of like reasonable as it seems, he's still not helping her by kicking her out. Like that's kind of like, again, it's kind of a dick move to do. And the same thing in, in, in the hotel when, when she's there. It's like, oh, I mean, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll back up the, the kicking out. If he had to kick her out, that's what she had to do. <laughs> like right. I'm not, I mean, I, I think, I, I think, it, I think I you're think, absolutely yeah. right. I, I think that just for me, it's a, it's, that's why I call it a nitpick. It was just kind of like a minor disconnect in the flow of how yeah. I, I thought that the movie kind of suddenly villainized that character in a very strange way. Um, yeah. But you know, that, 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 that's why I call it a nitpick and that may just be a blind spot on my own part. The only part that I actually had like a, yeah, that, this part I, I, I don't love a, as much is the flashback to explain why this is happening for two yeah. reasons. I don't know if I really care why this thing is this this occurrence is happening because it's essentially like they both got struck by lightning is really what happened. Well, and I mean, they got struck by lightning when and ha- younger Han Hathaway gets in a rage, right? And you know, because like, so this is again, the grudge Jason now. Like yeah. Saves her. They both have these science experiments or like these these present not science experiments but these presentations about yeah. a country, and and Hathaway of course has Korea, right? Um. So this whole thing is like it's a windy day. It's like because it happens the the time that her her kaiju can materialize in the park is eight oh five in the morning, which is her like when they're going to school. Mm-hmm. So the whole scene is like you know and you kind of think like they hint at the flashbacks. It's like some sort of repressed memory or something where it's like something that she's trying to remember, but like it doesn't never goes all the way. Like she never can see the full extent of the scene, and what eventually is revealed is like her, 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 her Korea science project blows away and it goes over this fence, which is like a construction site where the park eventually is. Uh, Jason Sudeikis climbs the fence to get it. And Anne Hathaway follows uh, Jason Sudeikis gets it, but then is like jealous of how good it is and like stomps it. Anne Hathaway goes into a rage of just like her face is so angry. Then the sky fills with lightning. They get struck 
he drops his robot toy. She drops her kaiju toy. Yeah, yeah. And that's the first time that the monster it, appears. It's a little silly. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, I definitely don't think you needed it. I think you could have been a little bit more metaphor, like more so, like never truly an explanation, or or a little bit more of like. I think the thing is that flashback is so drawn out that even if you had like a quick little like a mysterious flashback where she suddenly realizes it, like even if you just did the lightning strike thing really quickly, I think it would have gone through. The fact that there's this whole dramatic scene and it's like, See, you know, for- it's kind of this memory that she's repressed. It's like her, her, him destroying her her project and stuff. It just it just was a little bit. For much. me, it's like like. Uh... Like okay, I get it. Like the kid was evil the whole time. Like I'm like, I mean, well, it's just like he's been jealous of her. His I know. Life. I I thought like I, you know, I maybe I was more connecting to like you know like I don't know. I don't maybe I just didn't need the beat that like he was but also a dick also back like, then. But again, I, I like sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say like my thing too is like I get that like that specifically like a kind of a repressed memory of like right. Like, like Jason Sudeikis had had to have been a dick at, like, other times during her, like, youth, especially, like, in this small town. Like, it's just, like, not, oh, like, this is the one time that he destroyed my science experiment, and every time it's like, oh, like, he's a jolly friend that I'm just going to hang out with when I first come back to town. Like, I feel like there's, it's kind of, like, trying, to, like, a little bit too hard to kind of be, like, justify it for, like, the, his whole life he's been this way. I, I will say I, I, I can be persuaded into the point because it, like, feeds into this whole, like, you know, she is like so in her own head that you know she's just kind of like going back into these old habits and going back to these these old stomping grounds and not really thinking yeah. of like any of the other uh factors like such as like oh this kid actually used to be a dick and she's not thinking about that and now it's like realizing like and it kind of feeds into like you know her yeah i guess that's true yeah so i i can be convinced that that right. works but just, for me it was kind of like in, in, i, I didn't way- i don't know i didn't need it yeah, it didn't really. I mean, it, you didn't need. You wouldn't need to go like full like enemy not explaining anything. Mm-hmm. Um, enemy is a good movie, by the way. I'm, I'm not trying to dress it down. It's just that that's how the movie it is, right? Uh, but I feel like like you didn't need like the full on explanation that we got. I think like a middle ground between the two probably would have been for the best. Yeah. All right. Uh, we uh, gotta start wrapping up. So let's talk about the ending of the film. Yeah. Um, ending, and I, I want to like. There's a couple little. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just 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 okay. round them off. First of all, can I just say like that fireworks scene? Like that was kind of weird. It's like a it's a nice scene of Jason Sudeikis going full supervillain. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where he because uh, there's a whole scene yeah. where like. Because when Dan Stevens comes to the thing, it's like, well, she's working at the bar and she's like, you're a waitress. You're not a waitress, but it's like, well, I got to go to work. And it's like, I'll drop you off to the bar. So he comes in and he like, again, comments on like kind of the bar. And then like, say Jason Zikas is there and he sits down and he like, they're like, he tells a story about this firework and he sets off a firework in the bar. It's, again, this whole self-destruction thing that he has going on. So he's basically like willing destroying like his own bar. I just the only thing I wanted to really say about this scene because this was scene was kind of like a little bit out there, especially for it being like this kaiju kind of movie. It just felt like felt like like so different. Like it was kind of entertaining, but it was so different. But the one thing I would say is like there's this total super villain shot moment where like his whole point of shooting off this firework in his own bar is like no matter what I do, she's gonna stay with me. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine it like 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 Incredibles two or something like Incredibles three where it's like. Like, come on, like, let's go. And then right, immediately, right. like, even the camera turn was immediately, like, Anne Hathaway turns around. It's like, I can't go. Right. Like, and it's just like, it really was like Jason Sudeikis as, like, an actual supervillain would be really good. One other point I really wanted to make before we get to the end. 
uh, this is kind of like a, 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 joke, a, a joke point, but there's this whole thing where part of her discovery of the monster is Jason Jenkins comes over and they're like, oh, it attacked again. And then, oh, and, and we found out it attacked 25 years ago. And like, really? And then like Anne Hathaway like sees the picture of like the, the, the picture of it. And it's like, oh, they thought it was a hoax, uh, a hoax, uh, you know, 25 years ago. Now we know it's real. With that, this world that they've created would be hell to live in because now every single conspiracy theory ever created is back on the table because <laughs> one of them was one of them was proven true. Because you know that everybody's like, oh, like what about this giant monster that attacked Soul in night in you know in right, right, whatever? And everybody's like, oh no, that's a, that was fake because that like we never yeah, re, re, reopen every moon landing investigation every ever, moon yeah. landing, every flat earth thing and like right. everything it would just be hell because like and no whatever conspiracy theories brought up it's like well remember the monster that was real mm-hmm. but yeah the ending yeah uh yeah so the ending of the movie is like she kind of realizes like you know jason sudeikis is just kind of like unstoppable he's just going because he can't control her so she he's going to go into this little into the park and wreck havoc as the monster so right, they had a little like chase scene right. in the park and, like because because his whole thing too is like he he gives her an ultimatum where like he sneaks into her house because he has a key that his parents left him for the house, and he's like, listen, if you go back with Tim, I, every day you're not here, I'm gonna walk in the park, uh, and so she ends up calling Tim because like that's when she has the memory and realizes like he's being an emotionally abusive asshole and he like he doesn't deserve her time. Um, I will say one of the things I did like about this scene before I just remembered this is I loved where there's a whole thing where the siren goes off because they can kind of hear the siren for soul and they do like the whole like they're looking at each other thing Mm -hmm. and and bear mccreary does the classic like comedy movie like burp 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 like it's just the horns like Uh. whenever they cut to the eyes it's like so perfect uh uh, bear was just again very traditional comedy yeah but always effective that's all but basically yeah so they, they like chase through the park and they have the big fight and like he overpowers her and that's like kind of a whole thing where it's like again every day you're not here i will destroy soul like every day you're not in this city i will destroy soul so, so she has a decision to make yeah the, yeah the movie's like she has a decision to make you think she's going to go back home you're not really sure they keep kind of keep it hidden what she's going to do you you kind of get a sense that she have a nice, that she has something planned and uh, there's a nice shot where she's rolling up in her deflated inflatable bed mm mm-hmm. mhm and then she rolls back out of it and immediately pops up in the camera. I was like, that's that was that was clean. I like that director. There's another good edit where she wakes up and then she like and because it's a bit a, uh, like a large screen TV and she wakes up and it's just like the the destruction of the city and yes, it hits yeah, the yeah. TVs right there. So I, I thought that was really good. So anyway, so ultimately she goes to Seoul. Um is um she she goes there. Uh, she calls Dan Stevens and she's like, "Oh, I knew I said I I, I knew I said I was gonna come with you, but I'm actually in Seoul." Which well, can I can tell, I uh, can I say that can I say this personally? Like, you know, they they play this card where he's like, "Well, I think you owe me an explanation," and she's like, "I don't owe you an explanation." And I'm sitting there like, "You kind of do. <laughs> like, you you said you were gonna meet him, and you did it, and you ended up yeah. in Seoul. Like, well, I, I mean, this, I'm sorry. I mean, I think it relates into the thematics of the ending. I know, yeah. I, that well, that's second. kind of like it gets into the kind of like where they kind of weirdly villainize that character in a strange way, but whatever. Um, but um, but anyway, so what they reveal is like she is going to 
the basically the area in Seoul where the monsters are showing up. And like where they first appear when they walk in the right, yeah. and then she sees, the, and then the giant robots there, and that's Jason Sudeikis, and she approaches the monster in the area, and then we cut back to in into the states to the park that the movie's been taking place at, and Anne Hathaway's monster shows up there in front of Jason Sudeikis, so she is able yeah. to confront him a, as the as the kaiju. and um, you know, picks him up, and they have like this stare off. And uh, she dispatches of 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 him. Um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a couple of fun moments about this. That I really enjoy. Yeah. I really enjoyed this ending, by the way. I think yeah, the, like perfect. The, just on a technical a level, ending. the score is great. The filmmaking is great. The editing is great. Just like little things where they cut to because Anne Hathaway kind of like goes in and grabs, uh, kind of like mimes grabbing Jason Sudeikis and actually does grab him. And you can see because, like, the robot on Anne Hathaway's side in Seoul looks like he's, like, you know, it's grabbed and floating in the air. And then on the other side of the world, like, the monster actually has Jason Sudeikis in in its hands. And um, just the editing where it's, like, you cut to, like, Anne Hathaway, like, you know, close-up of her looking at, like, her closed fist. And then it cuts back to Jason Sudeikis' point of view. So just the editing on that is is, uh, a special shout-out to that, I think, is really well done. Um, I think one thing I really liked too was there's obviously this shot of all this all the Korean people uh, running away, and it shows Anne Hathaway walking towards the robot. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really liked about that is it really kind of showcased that she's finally going in her own direction because one of the other kind of subtle dynamics of the movie or kind of the things that they play about her character is that she kind of always needs to get roped into these kind of friendships with people and these relationships with people because her like relationship with Tim at the beginning of the movie is like, that's basically her Avenue to live somewhere mm-hmm. is like his Tim. So when she's kicked out, there's that. And then even within that scene, one thing we didn't mention is that the whole kind of the whole end of that scene is Dan Steven leaves the apartment and then all of like her New York friends are like, he's finally gone. So they all go upstairs and like continue the party. Mm-hmm. And like they, none of them notice you know, she's kind of defined it, but like, oh, I've been going out with these friends, like, you know, Gloria or like, uh, you know, Natasha and whoever. And they all come into the apartment. They're all talking about like, oh, my phone's on red and all this sort of stuff. And none of them are like concerned about her at all. So like her true friendships. And then even when she gets back to the city or her hometown, she's immediately roped into Jason Sudeikis' world. And her that friend group becomes a, her a new attachment. And it's like who she's hanging out with every night. And she needs that. And in once she gets to Korea and like this whole movie, her journey has been like, she's finally like not defined by the people she's drinking with and surrounding herself with that she's going on her own path. Right. So I right. thought that that shot very simple and very like a very simple storytelling technique in and of itself of her, her like going against the crowd. Mm-hmm. But I also felt that it really kind of showcased the end of her arc as character, which I thought was very effective. Yeah. I, I totally yeah, agree. Even just like, again, the visual language of like, her like looking at her hand and immediately cutting to Jason's Jason Sudeikis in the monster's hand. And again, like he's pleading for his life, but then at the course, it's like the last, like he can't help himself. Like he's pleading, like, please put me down. Please put me down. Like he's crying, but he's like, please put me down. You bitch. Like, you know, like a big bitch. And then finally just chucks him away. Now this was Uh, a, uh, there was some input from Hathaway on this, uh, on this, bit because it it involved like you know 
she was basically just going to kind of like, it was kind of like a more gene- uh, generic, like defeat of the bad guy. Like she was just going to like pick him up and throw him. And uh, Hathaway had a little bit of an issue with the fact that like, listen, I get it. But at the end of the day, it, it is kind of like, you know, she's just going to go and kill this guy, which, you know, will be cathartic on a certain level but doesn't quite it it just doesn't seem right like it it doesn't seem like it seems like a very cold and and i thought that when i was watching it like i do think it's interesting how like she does end up just killing this guy (laughs) but um there was a few things added and one of the the director said that you know one of the things to look at it is like at this point it's not like just kind of like emotionally abusive thing like at this point if you really follow the movie like now he's committing genocide and like you know he's killing all these people in Seoul as the monsters so you got to kind of have to keep that in mind but i believe it was Hathaway who kind of pushed to add that little beat where uh he kind of in in the middle of his pleading that you know he's he calls her a bitch and you know to kind of show that like you know this guy is going to continue being the monster that he is even in his like pleading for his life and uh, that was more of the go-ahead for like okay this guy has if we have to end the movie this way then that's a little bit more of like okay there's no redemption for this guy and um that is so he's he's got to go um so i just thought that yeah. was interesting that she kind of had some input on that yeah i mean it just shows that she's invested in the movie as we kind of mentioned mm-hmm. in the preamble part like that she this was a movie that just spoke to her and a character that spoke to her and i think that the, the fact that she wanted more out of that ending just showcases that she's interested in the material it's right. always great to see right from an actor's perspective so she dispatches the guy, but then like the most humorously dark, real, but very humorous like ending of the movie is like, you know, then she, you know, she defeats the, you know, the robot and then, you know, she goes to a bar like somewhere in the neighborhood in Seoul and, uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, talking to like the, the Korean uh, uh, bartender. And, you know, yeah. the, the bartender, she's like, you know, oh, did you see what happened? And Hannah Hathaway just can't, you know, she's so amazed. And, and and the movie really is like, you know, it does come to this cathartic, like, you know, she finally took some power in her life and did something on, you're, you're right, of, of her own, not free will, but, you know, she finally did something that she seemed that was a good step forward uh, in taking some right. agency and, and again, responsibility. And not connected to other people, but her right. own personal, right? Because the whole thing is that she's also torn between, like, I can go back with, yeah, I could be with this monster or go back with Tim, but none of them are going to be satisfactory mm-hmm. for me. So it's like she goes off on her own path. And, like and she takes a different road. And then also just made even greater by the fact that it involves like this huge monster thing. So she's like, you know, she's like in awe and in tears. She's like, oh, it's like, do you want to hear like a like a great story to like the the bar, the to the bartender? And the bartender's like, yeah, like oh, but you know, do you want a drink? And then Anne Hathaway's just like, ugh, and then. <laughs> cut to credits and it's a perfect last moment i, I, I want to know like, what you feel about it but the way i read it, it it's so great because i just love it's like this really human moment of it and i think we all to certain degrees have like these great highs where we really feel like you know we finally accomplished something that we're super proud of and it's finally in the right direction and it's not even a dark ending it's just the fact that like like the, you're right like the drinking isn't like okay she's like a rock bottom alcoholic but the drinking is more of like it's more of kind of like a reminder that 
your problems are still there and like the opportunities yeah. to fuck up are always going to be there. So the right. fact Especially that like, like, you know, she's been drinking like this, she's been drinking water for like a week now. Right. Like, right. She has been off the <laughs> stuff for a week. And it, that, that whole consideration where it's like, she knows she wants it, but she knows it's like, like it kind of like, Oh man, like now I have to make this decision. Right. Right. So, so it's it, it, and, and it's such a minor decision that you know that she's able to overcome cause she's been overcoming it through the movie. So it's just this little moment where the movie ends, where it's like, she has this great grand, and amazing moment but you know life's problems are yeah. <laughs> still but, and, 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 and the also, performance of it is just great too no and that's the thing is like it's 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 and it's a pitch perfect little last beat from Anne Hathaway it's like exactly how you want to play that moment and again just showcases the magic of her as an actress right so um so that's that so that yeah so that's the that's the end oh, of the wait, movie one more thing mm-hmm. before we go on to like any aftermath stuff I did appreciate that they did the whole thing where um, when they're, when Ad- and Hathaway first slaps Jason Sudeikis and they show the replays on TV and they mention like, oh, people have like made a god viral and maybe like- Oh, the thug life meme. <laughs> well, I mean, because that, having lived in 2020, uh-huh. that is 1,000% what would happen if a giant monster attacked. Like immediately people would be making memes- like as soon as they kind of maybe know that it's like like in, in this world where it's like okay maybe the monster is good or whatever 100% twitter memes youtube late night jokes it's all happening mm-hmm. and like i appreciated that like that just little details it's like made the world feel more real like of just the world we live in even in 2016 that would have definitely happened yeah and then of course jason sudeikis like obsessively watches it and then and says like I'm not watching it. I didn't watch it a thousand times. Like, right. You see how many views this thing is? Like everybody else watched it a thousand times. Like he's immediately defensive just, of the situation it, again. Kind of into, shows him yeah. out of power. Um. So yeah. So so that's it. I mean, there's not really too much in the aftermath other than like you know it 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 was very much an indie darling in terms of it. Like it was just making its rounds through the indie circuit. Um. Yeah. And you know it made. I remember people indie talking money. about it like yeah. for an extent like when it came out. Yeah, it made indie money. You know, it, it, it made some money back, um, but generally considered, it's generally positively reviewed. I mean, people yeah. kind of, for all the reasons that Anne Hathaway liked the script, people liked the movie. I mean, I, I don't know if this was like a huge smash, like underground success where everybody talks about it like that way, but it does have uh, it, it does have a, a positive following uh, to it. So uh, I think we can just wrap up by saying any kind of closing thoughts on the movie itself. I thought thought this was just again enjoyable watch, a fun mixing of genres. Like I said, I think the setup and and like the lead up in that first half is like near perfect to me, honestly. And I think like again like those little nitpicks and glitches in the second half like don't detract from the movie, but just kind of kind of keep it away from being like a perfect viewing experience. But definitely like this is this is probably a, uh, an underrated little uh, good little indie gem of the of this era and i would definitely recommend seeking it out and and how would you and how do you feel about it in the in the subgenre of kaiju filmmaking now that we finally just like where do you I, think it fits in that pantheon i think again it just showcases just the malleability of the the kaiju genre and i think it effectively uses some of the tropes of the genre including like the friendly monster and, and, and the two monsters fighting and kind of really presents it in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is like, honestly, like, again, if you look at the era of the films of, of around this era, you have, you know, a giant kaiju versus robot movie in Pacific Rim. You have Godzilla fighting Mutos and 
and uh, Kong fighting skull crawlers not too long after this. Like, I think that this is a whole, like, it, it takes the elements of the genre that we know, and it does the best of what genre mixing does. It takes the elements of the genre that we know and expect. We take the tropes that should be there and uses them in a unique way. And I think that that kind of, it kind of puts it in a realm. And I would love to see, you know, more fun stuff like this, you know? Yeah. And, I, and not just with kaiju filmmaking, but other genres as well. Yeah, I think it's a great um, little, um, I, I, I think it's a great movie. I, I, I think that it is a great character piece. I think it's um, uh, a great exploration uh, without getting too rock bottom, like I've said many times, yeah. uh, with the whole, you know, um, self-destructiveness, but then also trying to find uh, find your way type of story. I think it's great with that. And I also think it interweaves the kaiju um, narrative in, in, in an effective way that ultimately in some of those key scenes finally makes that uh, premise worth it. Cause it's fun at first and then it actually becomes, all right, this is like what makes this substantial with some of these key scenes. Um, in yeah. terms of the Kaiju Pantheon, I, I agree with you in terms of, I think it is a testament to the experimentation that you can do with a Kaiju film. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is like I, I, I do think that, in all fairness, I'm not sure if this is quite the movie to be like the the genre bending kaiju movie, and only because this, I think that it's kind of like this, and this is very you know splitting hairs. I, I think this is like kind of like a drama comedy that is using uh like the kaiju stuff. Like, yeah. I, I think it may take a kaiju movie that has a twist to it that is, like, more, like, you know, because it really isn't a kaiju movie. Like, and right. th- I don't like, mean that like, disparagingly. It's more of, like, this drama that is using the kaiju stuff for fun, but I wouldn't call it a kaiju movie first. You know, if, right, if like, that does that yeah. make sense? No, it makes sense. Like, yeah. I think, like, my, you know, that, that fake idea I had of, like, it's a romantic comedy that takes place in a kaiju world, like, would be a better example of, like, mm-hmm. right. okay, like, you, it's a more fully, like, we're living in a kaiju world, but there's, like, kind of a romantic comedy happening during it. Uh, one thing about the tropes, too, is one thing I did enjoy about just the visual filmmaking and, again, just getting you into the kaiju genre of it is I like that the robot and, and monster designs were, like, familiar enough. Mm-hmm. that it kind of echoed other designs that we've seen, yes. but also just kind of were still unique enough for the movie itself. Right, right. Like that it kind of mixed, like we've seen like stuff like the monster and the robot, like they look kind of similar to other things we've seen, but again, they still stand on their own and work so well for what the movie is portraying them as. Agreed, agreed. All right, well, uh, that is it for Colossal. Um, I highly recommend everybody checking it out, um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, thoughts on the film. Um, So, yeah, uh, if there is nothing else, uh, you know, we will be back with another uh, episode uh, that's uh, Godzilla-related. Next month is October, so that's not Kong month yet, So uh, because November is the month of Kong. So, you know, yeah. I will have to come up with something for uh, next month. Do you, do, and uh, so, but ne- either way, next episode isn't even a Godzilla episode. It's like a Bond it episode. It's a Bond episode. Again, so, we're going to be looking at kind of, we're going to be exploring the more real life world of spies. And we're going to be looking at like the other side of the spy genre, which is the true like spy thriller, spy drama, as it were. We're going to be taking uh, back to the 60s for the spy who came in from the cold. Cool. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, um, until next time, uh, I'm done. Uh, Nick's done. We're both done. 
we're all done. We're done here. Yeah. So just just plug. Plug this podcast. at gmail.com. That's an email. Uh, Twitter.com slash Sponzilla007. That's a Twitter. Facebook.com slash Sponzilla007. That is a Facebook. Like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Sponzilla007. All right. And I guess listen to that other Bond podcast. Yeah. The official one. <laughs> Only after hours. Only after yes. hours. Or, you well, know, know, after that, hours, tr- but also after hours. Uh, not the after hours, the Martin Scorsese movie, but after hours. All right, everybody. Um, the true Bonzilla fans will listen to this first. Yes. Yeah. The true. I hope. The true Bonds. Not even the, 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 not the true Bond fans, the true Bonzilla fans. No. Like, we've, we've cultivated our own yeah. fandom at this point. If you go, if uh, we'll know. Well, no, cool dude. If you go and listen to that podcast, I'll find you. Yeah. All right. Well, we got him into Bond. Like, that's our thing, too. So, yeah. you know, it who knows? The, the full cycle. Yeah, that's true. All right. I got to go. Um, and uh, bye, everybody. <laughs>